0: Hope you're hungry the table is set
1: join us for another cosmic feast
0: welcome back to cosmic feast i am your host sydney and this is your host david and we are super excited for today's wonderful episode covering the book by ingo swan titled penetration penetration
1: <laughs> oh my god that, that is the perfect way to say that too
0: <laughs> both ways right you have yeah, to say it
1: everything else i can think of that goes with the word penetration i cannot say right now but <laughs> what a crazy well name. that
0: I- yeah, I know. Where did it come from? What does it mean? Is this like is this episode going to be okay for, you know, 15 and under year old kids to listen to? Absolutely yes, all the above. Good. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about what Ingo Swan means by penetration. When, Although when, when the, the kids,
1: uh, if the kids were going to find this book in the library, it's probably <laughs> sitting next to, or the librarian could probably confuse the search. A lot of things can go wrong when you're searching for this book.
0: That's true. That's true. And you might be very misled if you're looking for a different kind of
1: novel. <laughs> you're like, what is this? What is this crap? What is this mind, mind control, remote viewing crap?
0: Why did the librarian put this book in, in with the the fantasy uh, romance novels? I'm, just, I know. I'm so confused. Remember those romance <laughs> novels?
1: There were just like these beautiful <laughs> illustrations of like a woman wearing a dress from like another century. And it's just like. Open. Reaching
0: up. And there's like and then, Fabio's like yeah. o- over her. And there's like a big wave crashing in the back. There was always yeah.
1: a man with really long hair.
0: Let me hit you up with the headlines for today. Hey, hey,
1: hit me. Hey, up hey. With the headlines. We're going to wrap this up. All right, whole we, got, we got
0: six interesting headlines today for you. First one starting with What is penetration really? Which we've already kind of hit on, but I've always I'm going to answer that question for you guys. Then we have followed by Kidnapped by Russians, Supermarket Encounter in La La Land. Ooh. Finn Doctors on the Moon, The Moon Is Hollow, and Other Lunar Anomalies, and The History of Telepathy.
1: Wow. So stay
0: tuned. We got some good stuff coming your way.
1: Those are the best headlines I've ever heard on the show. You had me, you had me from the beginning. What was the second one? Kidnapped by Russians?
0: You heard it. Yes. The moon yes. is With hollow. A mark.
1: Holy crap. I am so yep. in.
0: It's getting real.
1: I'm really excited about this book. I've heard about this book. Uh, MU has covered this book at least once. Um, It's this Ingo Swan is a, a titan in the world of the supernatural. I mean, he is involved with the government, many governments. I mean, I, I don't know that much about him. And so part of the reason why I wanted us to start this show is because I wanted to have a, a A way to learn about these things, and to read about them, or to listen to them. So, what did you, what did you think?
0: Yeah, I thought overall the book was um, a great read. It's divided up into three parts, and like the first part, actually, like when I looked it up on Wikipedia just to learn more about the book before I started reading it, was that it's self-described as his autobiography. (laughs) And I was like, what? Autobiography. I, that's what Wikipedia says. But I, after reading it, I don't know that I, like, if I were Ingo Swann, I'd be like, yes, this is my autobiography. But the whole first part is about, like, his personal encounters with the phenomenon and, like, how his psychic abilities were used to help foreign and U.S. governments. Right. So, uh, it, it is very autobiographical in that sense. I don't think it covers his entire life story. It's it's more specific than that. But I did I did find it a great read. Like, as I'm taking notes for for this book I just found that I was like writing down everything and I was like oh my god like so much detail you know you know the the fun part about being on this podcast is that I get to like read it all take it all in and then like make bullet points and just kind of make my own story out, out of it, like what, what I really took from it and what stuck with me. Um, And so it was kind of hard to like, stop taking so many notes for the first part. Cause like I said, it it was very interesting. The whole first part is just like, wow. (laughs) But then after that,
1: you have good bullet points. No, you have good bullet points. I I would pay top dollar for your bullet (laughs) points. They're, they're premium, (laughs) premium gold bullet points. Like you're good at it. Yeah. And you're, you have nice handwriting too.
0: Oh, no. Especially when I'm making notes for myself. It's like I even have trouble reading it later. I'm like, what the hell was I writing here? Because I'm like laying in bed, like scribble, scribble, you know?
1: That's the typical story from people who have nice handwriting. (laughs) Oh, I can't even read my handwriting.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, I do have nice handwriting when I'm trying to present it to others. But when I'm taking notes for myself, it's like literal chicken scratch. (laughs) Your
1: handwriting has like a nice face it puts on and like uh, fucking (laughs) unbuckles its belt and just like becomes a mess. I, I always think about what the government officials what are those conversations like or what were those conversations when government officials have to deal with some shit that's like so beyond the realm of the no, quote unquote norm. Like when they realize that remote viewing and we should try to define that, I guess, but when they realize will. I will <laughs> when they realize that remote viewing works and they're like you know, Johnson, he, did he just did he just identify a Russian target that we've been trying to find for 40 years and uh, <laughs> for 400 years? And, like, then, like, they're just like, all right, give that man a race. Give him a company car. Like, you know, like, they, they must have moved. This guy's career is tied to, like, how the government reacted to, like, realizing this stuff could be useful. And, and then exactly. sort of, like, the dangers of... Having like X Men like powers. He's like freaking Magneto, pretty much. Like the dangers of having those powers when it comes to world governments.
0: He's he's more of the Professor X, though, I'd have to say.
1: (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. That's what I was thinking of. When I said Magneto, suddenly I saw the dude in the cape (laughs) flying around and I was like, no, that's not what I meant. I meant the guy in the chair. Right. (laughs) Professor X, the guy in the chair. Yeah, so but like, why is his name Ingo Swan? Right? Yeah, what a that's a great name.
0: question. It is such a unique name. And I thought that there would be more to that. But when, upon my searches, like everyone was just treating it like he was any other John Smith. They were just like, yeah, Ingle Swan, that's his name. Like, what's the big deal?
1: So, anyway, um, yeah, he's a. Cool, he's got a very unique name, very unique human being. Yeah. And he's real. Yes. He lived. He was real. Mm-hmm.
0: He actually just passed away in like 2013. So wow, he he he's been around for a while. Had been. Well, do you want to go ahead and get started then? I I have a couple terms I want to define before we start getting Please. into the story. Yeah, stuff, let's so. define them.
1: This is a very important episode for for me, for you, for everybody. <laughs>
0: let's start with the most obvious uh, term that we have to define first: penetration.
1: Sure. Yeah. Why? Why would you <laughs> so, do that? Anybody else naming your are... autobiography penetration would be in trouble. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Their autobiography. Yeah, exactly. There are eight definitions that I found for penetration. I'm going to read all eight of them now. <laughs>
1: okay, I'm going to stop being a child. So, and I'm going to listen. Got you.
0: Definition number one: to pass into or through. Definition two: to enter by overcoming resistance. Uh, definition number three: to pierce. Mm-hmm. Number four: to see into or through. And then there's a couple more that are more specific. It says, to discover the inner meaning or contents of, to pierce something with the mind or the eye, having the power of entering, piercing, or pervading, and the act of entering so that actual establishment of influence is accomplished. So, what do you take from that?
1: Wow, that one's more complicated. I mean…
0: It is. There are uh, some levels to that one.
1: When I was able to stop thinking about penises, which wasn't which wasn't <laughs> easy, I kind of wondered if this is the way remote viewers feel about what their mind does like their mind seems to go to places that are like they weren't invited to go there they shouldn't be there Mm -hmm. they shouldn't be seeing something because remote viewers can apparently see back in time forward in time different locations they can just go somewhere and look you know so maybe it like kind of describes this feeling that they have when they've like penetrated a part of reality that they weren't supposed to
0: totally but then in the other in the other sense as well that if it was intentional and that they you know accomplished it by reaching in and influencing any any point in space and time
1: so it' it has to do with influencing influencing mm-hmm, mm-hmm because because by entering a reality, I mean all time paradoxes and exploding because you touched yourself or whatever, not in that way though in, time, in terms of time travel aside, like you will change that reality just by entering, right?
0: Even if no one is aware of your entering like you're still changing.
1: You're a marble hitting the other marbles just by coming into the picture. So, yeah, I'm curious to see. It almost seems kind of scary, actually. This subject has always kind of scared me a little bit because the remote viewers must be scared with some of the things that they mm-hmm. see. And that must be weird to, like, What? why would you want to influence anything? I would just want to look. I would just want to be like, I'm just peering here. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just taking a quick look. Don't mind me. And what do they Don't even... Don't mind me. What do they even exist as when they're looking at another reality.
0: Right, yeah, are they existing as themselves or like exactly like are they like some kind of fog or dust or yeah, do they take on a form at all?
1: Right, do <laughs> they, they have any form? Seen? Yeah. Or or do you just like if you're let's say you're a group of aliens that your your freaking bread and butter of communication is telepathy and all this stuff, like you can you just know there's some other mind there looking at you. You can feel it, you know, kind of like you know, I think one of the one of the easiest examples of telepathy and stuff like that in terms of our normal life is like when you're staring at somebody, often they will turn around and they know you're looking at them. Like you just yeah. know when there's a mind focused on you. Totally. So yeah. Okay, cool. that's
0: That's like your, you know, your gut reaction, your intuition, something that's inside of you that you can feel external eyes or presence or you know yeah, that's something inherent in all of us
1: yeah it's like another energy source in the room that's focused on you like a light that's that's shining your way so does he define this or are you defining this
0: uh for penetration this was in like the very opening pages of the book so that was that was the eight definitions that he um supplied us with (laughs) nice
1: yeah they they were like Um, we gotta we gotta address this first Okay, cool. Yeah,
0: right. Get it out of the way. Make sure you know that this is the book you're going to be reading. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This book came out in 1998. uh, And as I said before, it's divided into three parts. So the first part is autobiographical in the sense that it's all about some of the like research and government issues that uh, Ingo Swan was directly involved with. Okay. Um, The second part being specifically about activity on the moon. And then the third part being about telepathy. And we'll, we'll talk more about that as we get there. Fun fact, Ingo was actually advised not to publish this book because his publisher or wh- whoever told him not to publish it thought that uh, he would just be, like, known as, like, a scam artist and that they would just, like, blow it off and it would be, you know, not treated kindly. Um, but he wanted to publish it and really made an effort to make sure that it was published so that he could just, in his own mind, like, wrap up all this research and, like, Put it to the side, and in his words, he wanted to he wanted to pursue less stressful vistas. So he wanted <laughs> to move on with his life and like get all this psi yeah. phenomena out of the way, so he could move on. And then that brings us to our next uh, term. So psi phenomena, psi as in psi. It's the shortened word for psychic. Um, Psy phenomena includes but is not limited to having extrasensory perceptions, you know, like having a sixth sense, precognition, and uh, psychokinesis, which uh, when I looked it up, I was like, psychokinesis, like, how is that different from telekinesis? Um, And they are very slightly different. So telekinesis is referring to the actual movement of objects through mental power. Telekinesis Um, is moving
1: objects with your mind.
0: Yes. Ex- okay. Yes, okay. Got it. Generally, and then psychokinesis is more about the mental influence that you can have on any physical attributes. So that 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 goes beyond just objects, but like other people's minds or uh, intangible objects um, having mental influence over a- any physical attributes without using physical energy. So, so you're you're very similar,
1: and and telepathy <laughs> is reading someone's mind. But now we're talking right. about psychokinesis being. Uh, having an effect on something exactly. with your mind. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um, a little bit about Ingo Swan. He is a self-described consciousness researcher. That's what he describes himself wow. as. Um, on, on, yeah. Consciousness researcher. Interesting. Uh, on Wikipedia, he's listed as a psychic, which I think in general terms still covers <laughs> consciousness research. And um, I think there will was-
1: always be people who say that you're fake or you're a clown or you're a circus oh, act. yeah. Like there's a lot of controversy around this guy. Um, Oh,
0: and that still goes on today. Imagine how that was when he was up and coming in the 60s and 70s, which he's actually very, he's very bitter about it. He wrote a whole like preface to this book and he immediately seems bitter about like the societal rejection over all of his beliefs and practices. He. I have a quote here because I just thought it was too good not to directly quote. He called it a smelly morass of societal resistance. <laughs>
1: a smelly what? Morass?
0: Morass. Yeah. You know, like, I was lost in a morass of lies.
1: like just No, my entire like a, life, I've mm. never heard that word before. Morass? Never heard the word morass? That's yeah, awesome. Morass. <laughs> smelly morass. <laughs> Smelly's morass. Um <laughs> I would love to. I know to if name, you say
0: it too many times. I want to name, a, like I name my
1: tavern Smelly Morass. Uh, <laughs> so, so so just imagine if you even tried to live your life honestly with this thing, with this stuff going on with you. Like obviously, this is someone who had some sort of a incredible talent. You know, if they yeah. did have this talent, uh, and then the amount of shit that you have to take from the entire world. Including people that probably hire you or trust you or anything.
0: Exactly. Including, yeah, everyone is not sure if the abilities are real or not, and and you have to you prove know, it
1: constantly. Ingo,
0: Ingo himself is not even sure that it always works because, like, getting an accuracy percentage on any anything that you remote see, which we'll talk about uh, what that is exactly in a bit, um, is not always guaranteed one hundred percent accuracy.
1: Right. So wow. Yeah, imagine like uh, let's say you you remote view ten times, like what right. if number five was wrong? Like you know, is there must be ways to check? I don't know. There must be also ways that you could never know, right? Depending on what you're remote viewing.
0: Ingo did plenty plenty of of studies throughout his life, but he some of his studies, like you know, any assumptions that he would make um, when he was remote viewing, um, sometimes took years and years to be. Um, proved by scientific measures and stuff so it's it's not always immediate either like you you know you um ingo can see something and it'll be recorded and whether or not it's it's fact or false they they won't know for um for several years down the road so we'll talk about some of um those instances so you know you,
1: you made me think that like this is that's very significant because i think one of the reasons that i love hearing about this remote, these remote viewing stories is that you'll get an insight, right? Like you'll get an insight like, okay, how many freaking dark plans the, the greys have at the center of the universe or <laughs> something really terrifying or weird or the history of another planet or the moon or what's happening? Like you'll get some sort of an insane insight. And the question is, if you reject this insight, then you won't have any chance to think about it as being a possibility, right? So I wonder, skeptics that reject things, they're not allowing themselves to wonder if it is possible. And I I like thinking about the possibilities. I think our show, rather than illuminate what's true and what's not true, uh, allow us to have a discussion. Let's let's be allowed to have a serious discussion about what if it is true, instead of being kind of completely blocked off. So, you know... You don't have to totally form a religion around these ideas, but you can you can you can play with them and you can You can be open to the
0: fact that the potential of existence is Yeah.
1: And you get this insane gift, which is like perhaps knowledge that we would have no other way of having. None. Perhaps knowledge that's illuminating things that otherwise we're just completely blind and young in the universe and would have no knowledge of whatsoever. So I'm excited. Cool.
0: Yeah, good. All right. Well, that takes me to my next uh, definition. Do you, David, can you define what remote viewing is for our listeners?
1: <sighs> That's tough. I mean, if I were to if I were to try to define it, I was always one of those kids where the teacher would like ask for someone <laughs> to define something, I would say something, uh, even if I was wrong. <laughs> I would I would Aww. I wouldn't just I wouldn't just stand there silently. If it was math, it was a whole different that. story. I would try to hide.
0: That's half the battle, though. Is just taking a taking a good old gander at what yeah you know what a term means that just from what you know of past uh, experiences that you've had and and maybe what the like Latin roots of the word means.
1: So you're viewing. So I like that. What you're, does it mean? You're to you? viewing yeah. remotely, so you're seeing something that's in a different location, perhaps in a different time. Uh, I know some of these people, they blindfold. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're the way that they, okay, so we were talking about how would they confirm. The way that they have, uh, that I, th- I think they have confirmed is they'll have multiple people remote viewing the same target. They ha- usually have a target, like maybe a set of coordinates or, or like, I don't even know how they do the targets. Maybe you could let us know. But like they give them a target, an objective, and they have to see it. And then maybe they'll give someone else the same one and they have to identify it. So so identifying, like, what do you see? What do you hear in a, in a location that's not the location you're in? How did I do?
0: Uh, no, David, that, that definition was perfect. And I think that gives people a really great sense of what remote viewing is. Between different psychics, it can be different, like in terms of being blindfolded or needing coordinates. Um, that's how Ingo works, actually. He, mm. uh he uses coordinates. And and he's not necessarily familiar with, like, all of the latitude and longitude coordinates of Earth. Like, you can't right. just be like, oh, 42 longitude and 57 longitude. And he'd be like, oh, I know I'm in Chile. Like, he's not going to know that. Wow. Um, but he can take himself to those coordinates and end up wherever he ends up. That's um, insane. So, yeah. So, it, it, in simple layman's terms, remote viewing is the is the ability to sense an unseen target With the mind.
1: Wow. Okay. Nice. Beautiful. Simple and beautiful. Got it.
0: Yeah. Keep it easy for you there. Um, So let's talk a little bit about um, some of Swan's remote viewing.
1: Let's do it. (laughs)
0: Instances. So uh,
1: I'm glad we're not going to start with when he was three years old. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He understood the question that the English teacher was asking him.
0: He defined a term for the English teacher. Does
1: it start with his childhood and stuff or no?
0: No, no. Oh. That's why I was saying it's not really I wouldn't call it an autobiography, but it's just it's it's for this very like specific moment in time. And he 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 in the preface he talks all about it. He was like, I'm writing this book because I don't want to get too old and forget. What happened? So I want to write it down so that okay. I can remember
1: how it, how it happened. So is this the beginning um, or are we jumping around? This is
0: the beginning. Okay, yeah. No, we're we're gonna go straight through the book. So this is this, this would is be all a of great way one. to
1: start the film too. Like if you started like a film about this, like with like one of the sessions, like just somebody oh, yeah. somebody going down an office hallway, getting more coffee, <laughs> then this guy nervously going in for his first session. I don't know. <laughs> I'm ready.
0: Wow, David's ready to write a film here, and I'm just like still on a podcast.
1: <laughs> I can see it
0: directed directed <laughs> by Brian
1: Brian De Palma. Okay, go ahead.
0: All right, Please. all right. So the part one, um, the title of this section is called "Ultra Secret Goings On," and uh, we're going to start here by saying that um, Ingo, at the very beginning, he said that his life would have been much. More different. If he had not volunteered as a an experimental subject in remote viewing uh, wow. for psi research studies, yeah. So he, not that he regrets it necessarily, but just like the rest of his entire life went down this path because he started he volunteered wow. as an experimental subject um, at the Stanford Research Institute How in old California. Is he?
1: Do we know or no?
0: Mm, this would have been 1971. Good question. Uh, let's see.
1: I'm always super impressed went- when people do shit under the age of thirty. I'm like, how did you do anything <laughs> when you were 22? I was watching so some dude Ingle- on Master Chef that was like 20 years old the other day. Oh I'm like, my He's gosh, 20, and this girl's 19. I'm like, oh my god.
0: Don't they have like kids doing that show too? Like they do. Chefs? They do. Yeah. So uh, Ingo was born in 1933, and these studies took place in 71. So he would have been around 38.
1: Okay, okay. So, he wasn't like a 20-year-old. A Good. 48. No. Wow. So, that's like your life. Your life's happened and then boom. You're like, okay, let me try something different. I am I feel like I'm yeah. in a place right now where I would sign up for a research thing because I'm so like right. lost. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah. Hey,
0: you're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. Okay. Um, So during these studies, when they first started, uh, he would be like repeatedly told by the researchers, like you need to know and think and suppose nothing. Like just keep your mind blank. Most of these studies were conducted uh, in the 70s during the Cold War. So if you put yourself in that time, it was a lot of like the U.S. and and the government worrying about the Soviet Union and psychic warfare was becoming a thing, like advances in psychic warfare. Wow. Um, So people were terrified and they were reaching out to whoever they could get that might have talent that's beyond our normal human comprehension uh, to help them win the war and to right. not be afraid anymore, right? So he signed a up for those three- Great
1: context, yeah.
0: Yeah. He, uh, Ingo signed up for a, a three-month study, and this ended up turning into 19 years. Like I said, he wrapped this all up in the book <laughs> so he could move on. But he was invited to travel to California and participate in a study, at, again, at the Stanford Research Institute but, um, by Dr. H.E. Puthoff. P-U-T-H-O-F-F, Puthoff.
1: Puthoff, yeah, yeah.
0: And um, the, the this study, again, was specifically to discover any extrasensory perception in humans and whether or not that could be reproduced. When we're talking about psychic warfare here, we're talking about, like, they're, they're, they're trying to see if, well, maybe if Ingo Swan can do this remote viewing, we can figure out how he does it and teach it to other people and, like, you know, we can get more gain more power over the Soviets.
1: This isn't a joke, people. <clears throat> this is, like, the government struck gold, and supernatural gold is is very weird and tricky, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it is very replicable. I don't know, <laughs> but there are people still trying to teach and learn this stuff today. This is a huge moment in history for human beings. So, modern. Well, history, if you think anyway. about
0: the timing too, um, like the first man on the moon just happened in 1969. Like we're making so many huge space advances. This is the prime time right now. Like everyone is trying to figure out what they can do and how they can do it better and who can do it first. And so this is just But those this, are, those are of that.
1: physical advances, right? Mm-hmm. That's like we gotta build this rocket and we need all these people working on it, and we need like all this money and like it's gonna cost trillions of blah, 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 blah. we're gonna send someone to the moon. And this is someone going there with their mind, you know? I can go to the yeah. moon with my mind. Like, how about <laughs> how about that shit? Like yeah. that's Amazing.
0: So here, here's an example. Yeah, this is his first time remote viewing, and and uh, this is just an example of of one time that he successfully remote viewed. Like, of course, this this study took. Um, a long process, what ha- was supposed to be three months turned into 19 years of studying this for Ingo okay. and his friends at the Stanford Research Institute. Um, so, this this instance that I'm going to talk about happened in 1973. So, this is okay. two years into his study. Um, he, uh, he psychically travels to Jupiter. And he there was a lot of, like… Uh, you know Hit back from this And, and they were saying like We're not going to waste our money Like making you go to Jupiter There's nothing there We don't need to see anything there And he was like I love
1: I, this uh, shit I mean what is better than this Oh my god Right this is like, So is This is amazing It's
0: 1973 This is before NASA Has even traveled there physically Like nobody has even seen Pictures of Or like been to Jupiter Just, just what you can see Through the telescope okay. You know at like However many, many millions Of light years away <laughs> Wow So um there there were actually several things that during the study that ingo in anticipated right he saw with his mind and had them write down and record that uh then like i was saying were prove proven years later down the road that to be true um so the, these are some of those confirmed attributes that he uh, anticipated he told researchers that jupiter had a hydrogen mantle um, this was confirmed two years later in 1975. He told them that large wind storms and tornadoes were occurring all over the planet, um, which was confirmed in '76. Wow, He anticipated that the planet was dominantly orange in color, which we didn't even know until 1979 when we got our first color photo (laughs) from a telescope. He anticipated ice crystals existing in the atmosphere, which they weren't even sure if Jupiter had an atmosphere. Yeah, he saw all these things. Um, And just that it was very uninhabitable, of course. Um, And he also anticipated planetary rings inside the atmosphere, which uh, was also confirmed in 1979. So, again, several years after he had already like remote viewed and mentally gone to
1: this planet wow. and checked it out.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's just one example to get you into
1: so the craziness with, that's he's, about to ensue. This was his first time remote viewing or sort of like the first big No, story? no. This is okay. like 2
0: years in the okay. in into the yeah. study. This was just okay, one okay. that I, I wow. figured was was notable.
1: <laughs> I, wonder, um, I wonder what it, I wonder what it looks like to him, you know? But it's it's apparent that you can just it's not just seeing things, but you're getting information. Right. He
0: also, he mentioned that, like, um, when he is remote viewing, it doesn't feel like he's in his body. Like, he can see things that no human would be able to, like, encompass with all of their, like, minds, you know, their physical eye. And it's more of, like, the mind's eye. So, he can, can like, oversee. He can, like, look at the entire planet. He can look up close um, you know he can see miles and miles like it's just it's very it's it yeah it's really hard to wrap my mind <laughs> that
1: is yes
0: kind of kind of like what a what a what a movie screen can see you know how we can see like the entire earth um, on the movie screen but then we can also see like a guy exchanging money with another guy on the street you know and then but then it can zoom out and you know it's just yeah the, the this power
1: omnipotent it just yeah. makes me think of this godlike vision Like, you just go from, like, some office to, like, boom, the majesty of the universe in front of you. Like, holy God.
0: I can't even fathom. (laughs) So, this is going to take us into our next headline, Kidnapped by Russians. Okay. You ready for this, David? Yeah, I'm ready. I have to say that this chapter um, is titled Encountering the Spookiest Spooks. (laughs) I just thought that was so cute. I almost used that as my headline. <laughs> the
1: spookiest spooks. Swan yep. definitely has a sense of humor. He right? does. He sounds like he does. Definitely. Okay.
0: So here we go. Story number he, one. Because he he
1: wrote this book, right? No one else helped him write it. or oh, yeah. Anything? Okay.
0: No, he he wrote it. So it's I in mean, his voice. Had, yeah, it is wow. definitely in his voice, which is why I think again Wikipedia was like it's autobiographical.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's, it's exactly really just his first part, the story of his life. Yeah. Okay. No.
0: No. So here we go. Story number one. Swan got a phone call at 3 a.m. from a mysterious Mr. Axelrod. He was told to fly to DC and wait to be contacted at the Smithsonian Museum by the large elephant in the central rotunda. He was so worried he was going to be kidnapped by the KGB because, as I said, the Cold War is going on during all of this. Right? He's like, He's terrified. like a weapon. He's, like, a yeah, he's like, what's going to happen? Are they going to kill me? Are they going to kidnap me? Are they going to use me against the U.S.? Um, he just doesn't – he has no idea what to think. And like the, the guy on the phone, Mr. Axelrod, seemed real serious, seemed to know what was going on. So he got out of bed, and he took the next flight from LaGuardia to D.C. He gets there early. He decides to explore the museum's minerals and crystals while he waited. And oh. right at noon – He stood gazing up at the elephant when a tall, handsome, modelish man with green eyes handed him a card. And in the card said, please do not speak or ask any questions. This is for our safety as well as yours. Okay. So he doesn't say a word. He turns around and he's escorted to a car where a second man, who looked exactly like the first man's twin, greeted him and shook his hand. They didn't say a word to him. He was taken in a car. And completely stripped down to be checked for bugs and weapons. He was like, This is it, this is how I'm gonna die for sure.
1: <laughs> Why would um, he go though? You know? I don't know.
0: I mean, here's the thing, if if you don't if you don't take the risk, you're gonna regret it forever, wondering what what okay. what was you know, what could have happened. I don't know. He must not have been too threatened, but
1: Yeah. He, he was like, It's a public place, what can happen, right?
0: Right, right. Just go with the flow. <laughs> but reading this, you are like worried. You're like, man, who are these people? He hasn't even heard them talk, so he hasn't heard their accents. He doesn't know. He says they don't. They don't look Russian. They look like they're they're just American. talking
1: They're talking in index cards. A race they're a racist people in that index speak cards. via index cards. Got you.
0: <laughs> so he gets another card inside the car, and it says, "You are being taken to a heliport for further transport. We will place a hood over your head before we reach your destination. If you are hungry, sandwiches are available."
1: <laughs> We'll wolf, 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 <laughs> we'll guide him up to your face yeah, from under Exactly. The
0: so, he agrees. He puts the hood on, and he's transferred from the car into an airport where he's flown somewhere, and he's walked inside. He remembers going down an elevator, being spun in a circle ten times, and then walked over to a chair and pushed down in the seat where they remove his hood. So, the hood's removed. His eyes are, like, watering. He, like, is so... Um, upset by like the blinding light that's in front of him, and this man introduces himself as Mr. Axelrod, and he speaks, and he has an American accent, and he apologizes for the way you know it had to all go down. But he's smiling; he has kind eyes, and he tells Swan that he has uh, this opportunity for him, where he wants him to remote view, and they're gonna they're willing to pay him one thousand dollars a day to study his psychic ability. In nineteen seventy, whatever you can't turn this down, right?
1: I would be this like, is like five thousand dollars a day.
0: <laughs> N- nowadays, you could you could get away with that for sure. But, were they, uh, so, they
1: rushed in, or we don't know yet?
0: No, no. Well, he assumes they're not because Axelrod is the first one to speak, and he is because of American Axelrod's accent.
1: kind green eyes.
0: Exa- well, yes, exactly. Axel asks Swan to tell him all about his remote viewing abilities. Um, and Swan tells him how he would like assume weather in cities around the nation and how he specifically uses coordinates as a universal language of his psychic travel. Wow. So Axel, they begin working together for the next couple of days. And Axel begins telling Swan more about the moon. And Swan is like, yeah, I mean, I already know all this stuff about the moon. Like it. What, what what's the purpose of this experiment you know but he can't ask questions they're they're either not answered or he's told not to ask any more questions <laughs> so he just goes along with it um the night that they decide to do the remote viewing um it's naturally of course a full moon <laughs> so that means that earth Weird. is directly between the sun and the moon right um so swan he when he goes when he goes into his remote viewing, um, he asks questions out loud. They're like rhetorical questions, but it's to help the people who are also in the room understand like what he's going through. So wow. he'll he'll be like, Why do I see a giant white rock? Why is it dark outside? You know, he'll 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 ask questions out loud like that. Um again, he does not close his eyes when he's remote viewing, which is a terrifying thought. He just like has his eyes open and is looking into a completely different
1: (laughs) (laughs) universe galaxy space
0: time yeah you
1: can just kind of I mean you can imagine something without closing your eyes right
0: I don't know that's hard for me I feel like I can only really get into it if I close my eyes like my imagination works better
1: yeah but you if you're thinking if I ask you to think about like the wedding right or if I ask you to think Uh about home or like this trip that you had or whatever, like you could see it if you tried, if you took a moment to look at it. Right. I suppose. Without closing your eyes. That is freaky yeah,
0: though. It, <laughs> it is. is. Cause this
1: guy's not seeing like something normal, you know, like he's seeing, well, he's
0: not seeing things. a memory. Yeah. He's seeing yeah. things that he's never seen before that maybe right. may or may not exist. Even.
1: So these guys yeah. wanted him to look at the moon.
0: Mm hmm. So Axel gives him some coordinates, just like um, they would on Earth. Like they have their the quadrants divided up on the moon. So he gives him some coordinates, and uh, Swan just remembers being like jolted to this to this dark area, and he knows just inherently that he's on the dark side of the moon. He's on the other side from what people can see from Earth. He's on the uh, he's on the dark side of the moon. He sees a cliff, and he sees whitish sand. With, like, uh, tread marks in the sand. And he's like, this would be impossible. Because, again, for its time, like, there were no, like, rovers running around on the moon. So he was, like, not even sure if he was on the moon. He's like, are you sure you sent me to the moon? I think I'm in the wrong space. And um, they take a break. They do it again. He goes back to the exact same spot. So he notices that the cliff is, like, shiny obsidian. And he is just not sure where this is leading and where the treadmarks lead and like what does this all mean and it's kind of like mm. blowing swan's mind like he's not sure if his own beliefs are being broken right now because what yeah. this what this could infer is something that he doesn't necessarily even believe in so mm. axel quickly gives him a new coordinate and it swooshes him over um to somewhere that didn't look anywhere like the moon he said he couldn't believe what he was seeing he was so freaked out that he just stopped. And he actually said he didn't want to say out loud what he had seen. So we still don't know, but it freaked him out. So they have lunch, they take a break and he decides to go back. He says, okay, send me back. And they they send him back and he finds that he's inside of a crater in the moon. And there's like this greenish hazy this is where fox. he. This
1: is what he didn't want to talk about.
0: Yeah, this is what he didn't want to talk he's about. He's in a crater so in the moon. A crater in the moon with a greenish haze inside the crater he said he saw two rows of lights like a football stadium and he just knew that there was life there that there were other beings in the area he could feel the the energy and um he said that as he was saying that out loud um axelrod uh broke his pencil in half and just went shit (laughs) so swan knows that they're in some trouble like whatever they're finding is something that they weren't supposed to know about right so Swan, Swan assumes that it's the Russians, that they have a moon base and they're already on the moon and they've done it before Americans did. <laughs> um, right. So so again, he sees these these football stadium lights. He sees t- towers that are about, like, 40 floors in height. Um, and he knows that this couldn't be from, from Earth's intelligence. Like, how, how would they have built something 40 stories up on the moon? And so... so- he starts to question, maybe this isn't from Earth at all.
1: It's a tower inside the crater?
0: It's, out, it's outside the crater.
1: But it's, it's oh, on the so now he's the outside moon. the crater.
0: Yeah, he's kind of just looking around from inside he's the crater. He's moving around. He sees okay. a tower out there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah, it's Swan. Swan just assumes maybe this isn't from Earth at all. And he begins panicking, confirming all the rumors are true about all, you know, the extraterrestrials that live on the moon. And and he he's, like, not even sure how to feel. He just starts crying uncontrollably. So Axelrod wow. just tells him, like, let's take a break. Like, go take a nap. You know, just settle. And we'll talk more about it later. He just, he, like, freaks out on Axelrod. He yells at him. He says, how dare you use my power against me for something that I don't even believe in? Wow. And uh, Axelrod just confirms to him, he said, I I needed to ask for your help to see because this is something that we've been trying to see for years and years and haven't been able to reach it. He he decides to go take a nap. He's like, I need a 20-minute nap. It turns into a six-hour nap. And when he comes back, Axelrod explains, like, we've had tons of psychics come in here and we it, who have tried to do the same thing and we haven't been able to see anything so he's the first like psychic that could actually successfully remote view to what they already knew to be confirmed on the moon but we're trying to get
1: he has more real on. remote viewing power like it mm-hmm. works like he's well, I the think model it's just amazing how
0: quickly he can go there. Like they just give yeah. him coordinates, and he's like, "Boom, he's there." It doesn't. There's not even a process or anything. He did talk about not um, drinking the night before. Um, kind of like this reminds me of Tyler D from <laughs> episode six. Episode six. Okay, um, sure. About how he can speak to higher beings, but he has to have a clear mind to do it. I think. I think sure. that this goes hand in hand with that. Um, he did say he could have coffee. However, he did say okay, he okay yes. So you can yes. still remote view with coffee in your system, apparently. <laughs> He's also like a chain smoker of these like fancy cigars. And I guess okay. Mr. Axelrod had like a whole case of them for him. Like they already knew wow. a lot about his life when he came. So So they let uh,
1: the it's crazy that they let this man take a six hour nap. They were so impressed.
0: Well, and he just, you know, was completely mentally wiped out. The, he needed yeah. rejuvenation. It, it and
1: steals. It takes energy, right? It yeah. takes energy from your whole being. And then your yeah. conscious mind has to come back and be like, what did I just do? What did I just Exactly.
0: See? So he wakes up from the nap wow. and, you know, he's like, I'm ready. Let's go for another excursion. And so they go into it again and he starts drawing everything he's seen as he's walking around on on what is supposed to be the moon. Um, he sees towers. He sees machinery. He sees, like, tons of different lights, like LED bulbs and and things. He sees strange-looking buildings that are more, like, dome-shaped. And he sees bridges with that just, like, jut out and don't lead anywhere. They have no real function. He just sees wow. Wow. Bridges for no reason. Um, he sees small saucers with windows that are like inside of caves. Uh, he sees what he believes to be airfield hangars. He sees this long, like tube like machinery that are all lined up in perfect rows, uh, you know, something that looks like a military base. He sees uh, straight roads that extend for miles and miles and miles. Um, obelisks. He sees obelisks that have no apparent function. He sees nets on top of craters that were made to look like houses where people obviously lived. And so he's drawing all these pictures and he just can't believe what he's seen. He's like, I don't that like, you know, there there was nothing given to him, no information given to him to see these things. And and like he said before, like, he didn't even believe in these things. And that's why he was so upset initially. Because it was like, how dare you put this image in my mind that, like, is something I didn't even believe in prior to this happening, you know?
1: Well, he's blaming them for, for even sending him there, in a way.
0: Exactly. And then at one point, Swan sees actual humanoids. He sees... All these men, they're facing away from him. They're all completely butt ass naked and they're working on a piece of machinery. And as he sees them and like, you know, makes them come into focus, he's pretty far away still, I'd say about like 50 meters, but he starts to like, you know, make the image clearer. And as he's doing that, some of the males, the male figures turn around and they start pointing in his direction. And he like gets terrified because he's like, am I being seen? Like psychically seen? You know, like maybe these are also psychic psychic beings. Yeah, and so he psychically ran away, and he he said he just knew that they could, he knew that they could feel his presence. He knew that.
1: Naked men on the moon, <laughs> naked exactly. men on the moon.
0: I mean, if you're on the moon, you don't need clothes. Who, who are clothes so, for?
1: So, <laughs> but why? Like, isn't it cold and like... How are you – maybe they're robots. Like, how are they breathing? But, like, they're just like, oh, no, like, just in case someone comes, make them look human.
0: So many questions, We're not going to spend
1: any money on clothes. Like, why are they – (laughs) what?
0: Clothes aren't in the budget. (laughs) Why are they naked? So many questions. So many questions. They can't have – they couldn't
1: afford Speedos for these guys, at least.
0: (laughs) I mean, we know more about the moon now than Ingo Swan and his crew did at this time. So, like – even to us, this sounds ridiculous and crazy. Like, why? What would they be doing there?
1: Were there were there a bunch of them? Did he describe how many or no?
0: No, he's just said several. So I, I would just say anywhere several. probably from five to ten, maybe. Um, so they maybe <clears throat> they
1: okay. So they obviously either they're made so that they can live on the moon, right? They're created that way. I don't even know how that's po- or they're robots. I, I have a feeling. Or like they're they might robots, be robots. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Some kind. I, I would agree. I, I I would think that maybe like artificial intelligence, because like especially at this time in at this point in time, like we know that the moon has no atmosphere. There's no way to like just breathe without, like you said, like any kind of helmet on or anything. So how how is this really happening?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think any scientist would believe that there's any way that our bodies could do that. But I mean, maybe there's technology that we can't see uh maybe there's like a force field around them but the fact that they're naked i guess that's right even that is just so i would be upset if i were ingo swan about that Be like they were not wearing clothes how dare you (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't conform with my worldview of clothes
0: speaking of penetration
1: (laughs) yeah right now now finally finally we got (laughs) to the good stuff
0: no, so, so he sees these humanoids, he, can, he knows that they can feel his presence, and he psychically runs away and breaks out of, uh, of the remote viewing trance. Um, uh, yeah. And he tells Mr. Axelrod exactly what happened, he, I mean, he's been walking him through this whole time, and Mr. Axelrod just, like, stares right at him with big eyes, and, like, his friendly demeanor just drops, he doesn't say a word, and then he says, we're gonna send you back home. Thank you for your help. We don't want to risk you—you know—your safety any more than it already has been.
1: What if what if all the naked guys looked like the guy that was interviewing him, and he just couldn't Ooh. tell? Him. He was like, they all had green eyes. And He's they like, they're like my like clones, you. right? He's like, oh, I knew I was cloned.
0: <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that's freaky. So they, I don't know.
1: Yeah, that would be crazy. So they that send him back. The home. movie would twist things up a little bit. Yeah,
0: uh, indeed. Yeah, they um so they send Ingo Swan back home and he goes back the same way that he came. You know, they put the hood over him, they spin him around, they bring him up the elevator, they put him in the car, they bring him <laughs> they to the feed helicopter. Him with peanut butter
1: and jelly under the hood. Got it. Okay.
0: And they drop him off at the bus station in DC. <laughs> and they give him a sandwich if he wants it. Um, they can't
1: even give the man a ride home. Oh my yeah, god.
0: No. Axarod told him, like, please do not mention this to anyone. Like, we will be watching you, but you can't Tell anyone about this. You can't mention it to anyone for 10 years, for the next 10 years. Like, don't talk about it. That's your confidentiality limit. 10 years. Yeah. And so that's why he was, that's why Ingo Swan was like, I can talk about it now. It's been well over 10 years.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But. So like, so do we know if they were American or Russian or what were they? Who kidnapped him?
0: Oh, who kidnapped him? Well, um, Mr. Axelrod had an American accent. He did say that the two twins, who were like very tall and handsome looking, one had an Australian accent and one had a Southern accent. Um, so he knew they so weren't they're not actual twins. Russian. But, but that, I mean, no, like Russians they did not seem to dudes. be Russian. I mean, you're right. You're right. But uh, yeah, he. I mean,
1: so maybe it was he, like a secret he was told the access least of within the government that was like grabbing him even though he already kind Perhaps. of worked for the government right or was it just stanford university at that it
0: was point? stanford they, yeah he worked for the stanford research institute but he started what was called the stargate project which was like a part of a military unit that um did remote viewing as wow. like to help them with advances in psychic warfare so in a way that did kind of work its way through the government he was but.
1: already doing that when these guys kidnapped him
0: um, no, I think the Stargate project happened later. This happened okay. like in the late okay. 70s, early 80s. Um, and this okay, was okay. all very cool. early 70s.
1: Cool, cool. Um,
0: but yeah, so Ingo's back home and he's terrified. He like the very first thing he does is he just draws all of the stuff that he can remember. Cause all that all those things that he wow. was drawing for Mr. Asherrod, they just they took it out of his hands immediately and kept it. So he draws whatever he can remember and he puts it into a safe where it's locked away. And only he knows about it. And then he just gets this, like, enormous wave of paranoia, and he just feels like he's being followed everywhere. Like, he got a call in the middle of the night from a reporter asking him to tell him about Mr. Axelrod, who, like, that's a misnomer, obviously. That's not even his real name. So, like, the fact that this reporter knew about him. How does the reporter know? Well, he thinks it was a trick to see – it was actually one of Mr. Asherod's oh, men right, right, sending right. – Yeah, to, like, call him to see That's if he so would obvious. say anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, he – and he just responded appropriately. He said, like, I've never heard of Mr. Acerod. I don't know what you're talking about. Click. You know? So, this this went on for several months. And then, he, all of a sudden, he was contacted by Mr. Acerod again. Uh, he was mailed a book that uh, was called Somebody Else is on the Moon. And this is a real book that exists uh, by George Leonard. Um, there aren't many copies of it left because, again, it was like a book that everyone just kind of floofed over, and, and scientists and researchers were like, ah, "That's that's a joke. That's a joke." The book is book, called "Somebody know. Else
1: Is on the Moon." Yep,
0: he reads it three times in a row. Like he can't do anything else. He just reads this book three three full times. It had pictures, and he Swan went to his safe and brought out the drawings, and he noticed that there were similarities between the drawings that he made and the pictures in this book. David's like, must-see pictures, type, type, type. Yeah,
1: George – yeah, I just – I was like, let me interrupt the podcast with
0: – No, it's G-type okay. George thing. Leonard.
1: George H. Leonard. Okay. Crazy. Yep. I think I've heard of this book. It's it's a wacky, wacky book.
0: Yeah. So, in a way – um he, uh, Swan felt like his, he was getting feedback for his his work well done with Mr. Axelrod because a lot of his sightings in his remote viewing were confirmed with these photos in George Leonard's book. He spoke to some of his colleagues about the book and everyone seemed like very disinterested. These are people at the Stanford Research Institute as well. So they're all like, oh no, that, that book is a joke. Um, they didn't care anything that was in it. They didn't care about anything that was in it. And of course, Swan can't mention like, Guys, listen, I went to the moon and I'm seeing these exact same things. <laughs>
1: he can't so, say that he remote viewed. Well, yeah. how did he get the target, right? Yeah. Right. He doesn't He doesn't even know where Chile is. How could he get the target, <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> exactly. That brings us to our next headline, which is called The Supermarket Encounter in La La Land. Okay. Cool. So, this chapter took a huge turn. I actually, like, right before I started this chapter, I put the book down and, like, made dinner or something. Like, I just gave myself a little break, and then I came back to it. You and needed I a
1: six-hour nap yourself.
0: Yeah, exactly. I had to recoup and then get back into it. From It was just so overwhelming. Um, but I thought I, like, skipped a chapter because I was like, what the hell? Like, it just came out of nowhere. Swan was like, oh, so— in this chapter, I was in a grocery store with some of my friends, and um, I was I, I decided to make stuffed artichokes for dinner. And he's, like, talking about how he went up to uh, the, like, the veggie stand, and he was looking at the artichokes, and he sees um, in his peripheral vision this woman who's, like— uh, just an Amazon of a woman she's like over six feet tall She's um she looks like a model but she's just so well endowed in the uh, wow. decolletage re- region and the only reason that he's like startled is because she's wearing almost like next to no clothes she's in a hot pink halter top with yellow polka dots on it where was this? Where- at the supermarket he's at okay, the grocery okay. store so he was getting artichokes. the artichokes <laughs> yeah and awesome. out of the corner of his eye he just sees this like gigantic Beautiful woman with, a, you know, a huge décolletage, and she's wearing a hot pink halter top with yellow polka dots and and like Daisy Duke short shorts. Okay, so you picturing this?
1: <laughs> and okay. she's on
0: she's on like eight inch platform heels. Wow! And he's just like, oh my god! And he. Knew. It would be hard
1: not to see this woman, you know? Right. It would be hard not to look, yeah.
0: But he, when when he saw her, he got this, like, innate feeling inside of him. And he knew immediately that she was not human. He just knew. It was something in his gut. It's one of those feelings that we were talking about, that intuition, sure. you know? He just – he sure. knew. He was like, she is an alien. So, he turns around to leave because he, like, doesn't wow. want to cause any trouble. He doesn't want her to pick up on the fact that he can tell that she's an alien. So, he turns around to leave, and he's caught completely off guard because around the corner of one of the aisles, he sees one of Mr. Axelrod's twins. One of the tall, handsome, modelish men with the green Oh, eyes. I thought you meant
1: one of the naked men on the moon. I no, no, you.
0: no. He's okay. the, the two twins who, like captured him Um, and so he sees one he sees one of them watching the, the woman and he's like oh my god and so he like goes the other way and he sees the other twin also watching the woman from another direction so he's like in the middle of these two twins watching this gigantic alien woman in the grocery grocery store and he's terrified so he walks up to one of his friends he, he that he you know because he, he went to the store with his friends so he finds one of his friends and he's like oh my god did you see the woman at the artichoke stand and he goes oh if you mean that woman yeah she's an extraterrestrial we have a lot of those in los angeles just casually just says it
1: who said that <laughs> his the friend. grocery store guy
0: no yeah yeah oh, he one was of there English with a friend friends yeah mm-hmm.
1: wow
0: And and he just said it so nonchalantly. That's where they
1: are. I kept trying to find him in New York City, and I couldn't find him.
0: Apparently, they're in L.A. I didn't try
1: that hard. Okay.
0: (laughs) But uh, but yeah, like what a weird response to to be like, have you seen that woman? They're like, oh yeah, she's an alien. We have a lot of those in Los Angeles.
1: (laughs) Wow. But like, what an insanely weird situation for him to be buying artichokes and just so happen to be there. Like maybe psychically he didn't realize it, but there was something drawing him there.
0: Right,
1: you know, was the alien trying to contact him? Or was it just, like, the worst coincidence to run into the twins and that lady there?
0: Yeah, he said that she never looked at him. So he just felt like, you know, like beads of sweat going down his head immediately and was like, I have to get out of here. But, uh, yeah, nothing ever happened. But he flew back home to New York, where he's originally from. And a couple days later, he got a call from this woman who told him. Axelrod needs to speak with you meet him at the big clock in Grand Central Station and he's like oh shit he's he thought he was in trouble because he's like I saw this alien like I I know what she was like now he's gonna come after me and they're gonna lock me in a chamber and you know like he's terrified so he goes to Grand Central Station he's standing by this clock and he's waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing happens and so after about 15 minutes he's like "Ah, screw it I'm leaving So, he turns around and he starts making his way back down to the subway station. And he catches a glimpse of a homeless man standing in the corner who is looking right at him. And he sees that it's one of the twins dressed in as like a homeless man to like be inconspicuous. Oh, John Wick style. Yeah, exactly. He walks up to him um, with with a card that says, follow me. And the homeless man, the twin, goes down into the subway steps and he goes to the nearest phone booth. This was the time where there were still phone booths in subway stations. Yeah, <laughs> so he goes to a uh, phone booth, dials this number, and then hand hands the phone to Ingo. All he can remember is he's getting like these crazy questions from Axelrod, being like. Who was that woman? What were you doing at the grocery store? Why did you see her? Did you look at her? Like she, And basically, he, Ingo just, like, interrupted him and was like, Dude, I'm pretty sure she was an alien. It, I just happened to be there randomly. It was, like, not my fault at all. But she gave me bad vibes. And he was like, She's a very dangerous entity, is what he told her. Wow. He's, like, relieved that he's not in trouble. But he's also, like, really uneasy because he's like, Oh, my God, now, now I know that there are, like... <laughs> E.T.'s just hanging around grocery markets in L.A.
1: And, yeah, uh, dude. Like, oh my God. Like, what if, so, like, imagine running into, like, a beautiful woman that's, like, <laughs> murders, like, humans. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. It's like an X-Files I mean, they, they made episode. movies about that, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. An X-Files episode. There's X-Files episodes about weird entities that, like, are, like, killers, basically. Wow. But, I mean, we don't know why, like, What makes her so dangerous, you know? Right, right.
0: And Ingo never finds out either. So that's that's an unanswered question. But maybe maybe someone else had an interaction with her that we can read more about in another book.
1: It's interesting that he can't. It doesn't sound like he can necessarily control what he wants to know. Like, let's say he wanted to know more about her. Like, he wanted to Google her life in his brain. Like, how could he? (laughs) Maybe he can't do that, right? Like, he can't because he can't pick the coordinates.
0: Okay, or can so he?
1: maybe there's no internet. So. This kind of
0: goes into the telepathy thing which we'll talk about at okay. the end, but I think what you're referring to is beyond his psychic abilities. So what he yeah. does is he can he can travel through space and time and and see things that have not yet been been seen but that doesn't mean he can get into other people's heads he's not like a clairvoyant or like uh you know someone who can telepathize their thoughts into someone else's brains he's that's not really the type of psychic that he is so but um, if you wanted to
1: know more about that lady right like i don't think he can like how could i don't think he can either no
0: Unless unless Axelrod knew more about the woman and could send him to like where she lives or you know something like that.
1: I wonder how you would see in a different time. Do they talk about in the book? Do they talk about at some point seeing in different times or no?
0: Um, Swan doesn't talk about like any any kind of excursions that he went on that went to a different time period. Um, but I could totally see how that would fit into the same realm of in remote viewing though. Yeah.
1: Like how do you? Well, how would you establish coordinates in another time? You know, right. I wonder, I wonder, wow, what a, what an incredible image. That's not, right. that's, that's a scary la la land right there. <laughs> um,
0: so uh, he, he's talking to Axelrod on the phone, right? And he's like, what does this mean? And he's like, I need to know more about this. Like I've been living in paranoia for months thinking I'd never hear from you again. And then I see this crazy lady in the market and I see your twins. Like what is going on? Can I be more involved? And so Axel tells him, listen, you're doing that remote viewing study at the Stanford Research Institute. They know things about his life that he's like, how would anybody know this? But they do. So he says, when you get to 65% accuracy in your study, I want you to put on, on a little piece of paper, write a 6.5, and put it under your paperweight on your desk, and we will be in contact. Okay. okay. So so several months later, Swan reaches 65% accuracy on his uh, research study that he's volunteering in, and he writes on the paper, 6-5, puts it under the paperweight, and shortly after that, th- by the way, this is a room that, like, he, he like, goes on and on for paragraphs talking about how... Um, secure this this room is this office that he's in like like not even the security has keys to get in like it's like hand coded and there's like a hallway with a with a fob and then there's a keys for there and like you can't get into the building without security measures right so he says like shortly thereafter after he put that note under there he sees dust where the paper was left and he picks up the paperweight and in the dust it reads expect contact
1: in the dust it says. What do you mean? Like in the someone dust?
0: wrote with their finger. Like expect contact.
1: Like in on the, dust. the desk. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> weird.
0: Uh, yeah. So yeah, super weird, right? And it's like,
1: the government what? has tricks of their own, right? We don't know yeah. if they have. Maybe they have some supernatural knowledge, and and they use it. They weaponize it, but but they do have tricks, like magic tricks, <laughs> right? They have like little right. ways of doing things. Okay. And they they have surveillance on this guy. Exactly. They they own this guy, basically, kind of. Probably. Yeah. Pretty
0: much. Yeah, they follow him into the uh, cafeteria shortly thereafter at the Stanford Research Institute, uh, where he's, like, sitting with some friends. And he walks by and sees Mr. Axelrod in, like, a bathroom in the side that's locked. And he just goes straight into the bathroom. And so uh, Swan, like, looks around and he's like, uh, guys, I'll be right back. <laughs> and he puts his food down and he goes into the bathroom, which was supposed to be locked. And so he goes in the bathroom and Axelrod is in there and he says, listen, I'm going to take you to see a UFO. You need to leave for a couple days. You need to tell your friends some weird excuse why you have to leave right now, but we're going to put you on a private plane and we're going to fly somewhere. And he's like, okay.
1: <laughs> so there he just goes sandwiches.
0: back to his. Yeah, exactly. There's sandwiches along the way and cigars. So he, he goes back to his friends and he says, uh, Guys, I got to go. Something came up. I got to fly out of here, going back home, something, something. Make up excuse. Insert excuse here. So he gets on this private plane, and they fly somewhere. Again, he doesn't know where they're going, but um, it's very cold there. And uh, they do this, like, small hike up up the side of a mountain, and they end up at this very picturesque lake. And the sun hasn't quite come up yet. It's like four in the morning. So um, it's the two twins and Mr. Axelrod and um, Ingo. Axelrod says, you can, take, you can, you know, rest your eyes. We'll wake you up when it happens. And so... Here's that story. Swan is awakened by the twins saying, it has begun. They're always like very short in words. Either they're handing him index cards or they just say like three words, it has begun. So he sees all these colorful fireworks going off in the distance above the lake. And he's like, what is happening? There's a fireworks show. All of a sudden this little pyramid shaped vehicle rises above the trees and it starts to grow. And it just keeps growing until it's about the size of a football field. And it's huge, right? So, like, picture 90 feet in diameter, this thing, this pyramid-shaped vehicle. Wait, so he's at a
1: lake, and, mm-hmm. and he sees this vehicle rise out of the lake?
0: Rise ab- above the trees, like, behind okay, the lake. Okay, you know, okay. you can you can see the I don't really, not see I'm the Not trees
1: out of the right. lake. Right,
0: right, right. Sure. Um, it scans the area. It's got, like, red beams, right? And he said wow. it's got two big lights on the side and red beams, and it's scanning the area. And it's sending these, like, blasts like laser blasts into the forest where it suspects movement and he can just see like deer and porcupines and like all these animals just flying up out of the forest after they're being blasted <laughs> and um
1: they're going into the, the saucer thing
0: no they're just being like thrown up cause they just got blasted so they're being like thrown up over the <laughs> you're trees.
1: like yeah well they just got blasted so
0: yeah I think they are if no longer alive if a porcupine gets
1: blasted in the forest <laughs> yeah. does it get blasted
0: Exactly. Um
1: <laughs> That was the other idea he had for a title. Blast it. Then he went with penetration.
0: <laughs> He's like, What describes my life more? Blasted or penetrated? <laughs> ay, ay, ay. <laughs> Swan, while while all this crazy stuff is happening, right, he's seeing like forest animals being thrown up and like the twins told him too, they were like, don't move at all. Like this UFO can suspect any movement and like we will be blasted. We could get killed. So like you cannot move. And he's like shaking inside of his coat. He's like he's cold. He's frightened. He's like so paranoid. He doesn't know what the hell's happening. And he's oh. seeing this UFO grow in front of his eyes, blast in the forest. And and while he sees that, he sees it um, underneath niece all the water from the lake is being sucked up into the vehicle as well so they're like this ufo is taking water somewhere what are they doing they're taking our water all of a sudden like he gets grabbed by the back of the neck and pulled down behind this like rock thing that they were sitting on and the blast hits the rock and <laughs> like blows up so they did <laughs> they just narrowly escaped death there <laughs>
1: what the Uh, what the f why yeah so
0: he must have been moving too much because he was probably trying to see the water that was being um, so maybe this
1: was an alien it wasn't human
0: well he's they said it was a ufo for sure i mean what do you think it's a ufo
1: but they they planned to go see it so they knew it was there yeah okay
0: no they just wanted to show it to him maybe just they wanted to
1: show him they're like listen okay we showed you the moon thing (laughs) Now that you're professional, welcome to what we're dealing with here, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Introduction to Porcupine Genocide.
0: Introduction and unfortunate ending because this was the last time that Swan got to see Axel. After this, Axel explained like their mission was being passed off to a new group of people and he would never be contacted again. And wow. so that's it. That was that was where part 1 of the book ends.
1: Just when it was getting good, I know this Axel guy.
0: But that's kind of how real life is, you know.
1: I imagine that. Yeah, I mean that's how life is. They take your job, they hire someone else. They, they, you've been reassigned. It's been the company's been reorganized, restructured. (laughs) The company, there's nothing colder than than an organization, you know. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't care. Um, And maybe that's how they protect information too, right? They don't allow anybody to work on too much for too long
0: and that was a, that was one of the things um axelrod said to swan too was that um like you can't ask questions because some of the questions he doesn't even know the answer to so he's he's just as low level totem on the totem pole yeah. as as swan is at this point he's just given an uh you know given a, a job to do and he does it swan no seems to ask. have
1: so much power though i know in a way like, he can see anything in the universe, you know? Or maybe not. I don't know, but... Well, he's um, so humble
0: about it. it it's, it'd be interesting to read a book that was written by someone who knew Swan and knew of his capabilities, because I think it would be much more, um, like, explained of how powerful he is. I feel like Swan is just like, yeah, I do this thing. It's like, no big deal. I went to Jupiter, <laughs>
1: you know? so Does he seem, like, humble
0: yeah, that's what I was saying. I feel like he doesn't really yeah. go into super detail about like how powerful he is or like what his powers uh, are limited to or his capabilities. But yeah, he just is kind of like, yeah, I do this There's so
1: many assholes that would, not, <laughs> that would not feel that way. You know, totally. They're like I'm the master of the universe. You'll <laughs> bow down to me. I am the god. Um, I mean, you know, well, uh, it seems
0: to me too that he only uses his power for for like when he's getting like it's his job, you know he uses his power as his job. Yeah, he doesn't. That's use what it I'm just saying. Like, he's like, not
1: using it. Like, I, you know, would you be not curious? to get revenge like, on an ex
0: girlfriend or anything? You know,
1: <laughs> you could use it at any time. Yeah, that's true. Like, but you could use it at any time um, for anything. So, like, why wouldn't you use it more to see more? I mean, it has to be really frightening. You know, one of yeah. these experiences has to be enough. Seeing this UFO, like it doesn't sound like they were in control of the test. If the test almost killed them,
0: definitely not. Yeah, I don't think it was a test.
1: You know, there are these theories that the government is so advanced when during the it, within these secret projects that they have UFOs. You know, and I mm-hmm. do believe that they we have craft that we don't know about. I don't know if it's shaped like a UFO or a freaking transforming pyramid, but. Uh, but the fact that they almost died makes me think that they were seeing something alien, you know? Totally.
0: I think that's what Ingo was led to believe anyway. Unless unless that was all a ruse to make Ingo yeah. think that it was more about aliens and less about the government tests.
1: Yeah. Less about Nazis or Russians on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, for for... For our hero, for for Ingo Swan, it's like this is probably the most real frightening thing he's gotten to see in person, right? Because a yeah. lot of the stuff he sees is remote viewed. So now he sees something totally mind-blowing and frightening in person.
0: Right. I mean, like Axelrod, you know Ingo's powers. You could just give him coordinates and he could watch it in a safe place from his home. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and still see
0: everything that's happening. How rude of you to fly him out to this cold continent.
1: Yeah, I wonder if they wanted him to go in the saucer or something with his mind. Or, but you're right; no they idea. could have done it from far away. But that's why it's significant. It's like his life gets penetrated by his his physical reality gets penetrated by this situation. You know,
0: totally. Yeah,
1: aliens come into his life through this avenue. So, okay, so that's part one.
0: Part two of Ingo Swan's penetration book. So, this part is going to take us into moon activities. This, this whole yes. section of the book is about factoids about the moon, things you didn't know about the moon, things that maybe they didn't know at the time that this book was written, but we know about now, being in 2021. Um, so, let's get started. This will take us into our headline, Spin Doctors on the Moon. A spin doctor is someone who uh, changes the truth, right? So they're are okay, right. spinning the truth to doctor it to make you know uh, make it be either societal, societally accepted, or like to just manage information in a specific way. So we'll talk about this. Swan explains um, why hard evidence is not necessarily going to change someone's beliefs, right? And th- that it's more about um, what is generally accepted as a population that people are going to believe over um, hard proof and hard evidence. This whole comf- concept of information management, which I mentioned, information management is establishing uh, whatever is going to be, like, conceptualized as a constitution of reality within an, any social framework, right? So, like, any any social group, like, uh, we we all understand that, like, Ice cream is for dessert, you know? That That would be, like, information management done by the food processors, FDA, whatever, you know, the people who are, like, up there showing us commercials and, and deciding who gets what and sure. how food gets processed. everything's in, like,
1: categories.
0: Exactly, exactly, us. yes. Yeah. So, Swan goes into, he goes into a lot of detail here, and I'm going to read some things that are kind of, like, dense, but then we'll talk through them. Uh, so, he, he says that constructing reality, right, so, like, creating Creating a reality, not just what is reality, but, like, constructing a reality for society requires three things. And the first thing is positive emphasis of facts, evidence, and information. So, like, truth-telling, being like, yeah. oh, these these are the things that we know. Um, destruction of any opposing information. So, like, disposing of anything that they would consider to be lies. True. Um, and then introduction of illusions if the other two can't be accomplished. So, like, created proof or evidence, right, of what it is that they want these people to think as their reality, okay? So anyone who can do all three of those things, tell truths, dispose of lies, and then create proof to the truth, um, is called a spin doctor. So someone who helps society lean in favor of their own beliefs and ideas.
1: So you can create another version of reality just by sort of reinforcing information, disproving exactly. other
0: information. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, we see this in cultural, in, in like our own culture, like some, you know, like France being told the same information that we are, but like depending on how they frame it in their society, they might interpret whatever they're being told in a different way than, say, Americans would. So the very first thing that you think of, like what type of people do you think of when you hear the term spin doctors? People that are altering your concept of reality to lean in favor toward theirs.
1: Government officials, I think of academia, Mm -hmm. and just like how yeah, academia knows that certain things aren't one hundred percent true. Yeah,
0: like what they teach in schools and and what they don't teach.
1: Yeah, like totally. I think of bureaucracy, really.
0: There you go. That's the first thing that came to me was politicians, like, you know, thinking of yeah. like how Democrats and Republicans get you on their side by like, they're basically telling you the same thing, but the way that they frame it makes it favorable to one person over another. So, yes, we we automatically think of these people as in, in, in a bureaucracy, government officials, politicians, but this also occurs in science. It happens in philosophy a lot because philosophy, if you think about philosophy, that's just, you know, <laughs> the idea of what is what is the point, you know? And those right. are all opinionated too. Um, economics and then sociology as well.
1: I could think of it happening in archaeology too. Like oh, just whoever, yeah. whoever is in control and power, whoever has the grant. I mean, we we see this happening with the coronavirus too. Like a lot of the organizations that are funded, that are you know that that go through the CDC. You know, like wh- whoever, wherever the funding is, right, yeah. controls the truth you know, Absolutely. Of, of things, you know, the careers, the tenure tracks, all that Good. stuff. Good.
0: Yeah. You're getting it. Good. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. we, you know, America's full of lots of spin doctors in that sense. And spin doctors know that, that, you know, just your average humans, we don't need a, a copious amount of information to believe that something exists. Um, we'll, we'll accept anything wow. if it's given to us from, you know, something that looks like an official standpoint, right? So and, true. And we will accept anything, even if it is imaginary or illusory, in place of what may be the actual truth. Just because of, oh, we watch Fox News or CNN and and what that information, how it's coming to you in what form. So, humans have uh, what Swan defines as an information comfort zone. Where they can accept information that fits into the norm of their life. and But then they also reject any information that causes any kind of discomfort, right? And yeah. I, I think you can... This happens to you in your own mind, too, and that's why even at the beginning of this podcast and in the past, we've we've talked about just being open to the information that we're being given and not being so hard to just rule it out and be like, eh, yeah, but it doesn't exist, so I'm just going to cut that off my brain and sure. put it over yeah. a hole there.
1: But we all have our limits so that we can continue to live our life, kind of, yeah. you know, with things.
0: So Swan kind of a- after he like defined all this fin doctorism and what that is, he talks about how the moon um, has been treated this way, and that's because to the normal person, wow. the moon just seems like a normal reality. It's like yeah, you look up in the sky at night and you see the moon, like big deal. But like to people who are actually managing that reality of what the moon is and what power it has on Earth, and like you know, or if anything's going on on the moon and how they're gonna manage that information to come back to our Earthside society, they can see how much of what we. Know know has already been spun um just wow. from their own research
1: so he goes deeper into this whole moon thing totally. right it seems yes. like this is a big theme in his life
0: absolutely and like, thank you for mentioning that I was gonna say after his last interaction with Axelrod he becomes obsessed with the moon because he's like there has to be more I have to know more he starts like you know reading as many books as he can find more books like George Leonard's like somebody else is on the moon um <laughs> right. and you know, hoaxy books, but also, like, ones that are printed in research papers and things that are actually published. And and he finds that a lot of information about the moon is published. But the fact that these spin doctors haven't made it, like, public knowledge is part of the reason why our society just accepts the moon for what it is and doesn't really care to look into more. So, at this time, Earth is... Uh sorry, the moon is known as Earth's natural satellite. Okay. Right. And it's a
1: it's a piece of it's like a rock. It's just right? a rock
0: that floats around the moon and does nothing, right? It's like uh he kept referring to a dead moon dium, like something like that. Like, uh dead moon diam D-I-U-M. I U M. I didn't really look into that, but that's that's what he kept calling it. Was that like this idea of like dead moon diam that it's just a dead dead rock in the sky, like no big deal, no need to look further into it, From right? some
1: collision, you know, from a bigger body somewhere. So
0: we're going to get into point. that. You ready to get into this?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm ready. I can see your excitement.
0: <laughs> Modern scientific knowledge technology, as we already know, has proven that the moon is not just a dead airless satellite on earth it, and um this is back in that time still too they they said that the moon probably was created around the same time as the earth because anytime that there is a gravitational force with like all the planets in our solar system were formed generally around the same time because that's how they got pulled into this milky way galaxy um, so everything in our solar system they're thinking is generally about the same age so we know our solar system to be about 4.5 billion years old even though the oldest rocks on earth are dated back to only 3.5 billion years, okay? So that's about one billion year average that we're not really sure there's some empty holes there. But rock samples from the moon dating back to the 1970s suggest the age of the moon to be 5.3 billion years old, which is not even possible because that's older than our solar system, okay? Wow. and And listen to this. The dust from the moon, they've done samples of the dust on the moon. Again, this is back from in the 70s, um, is even older than the rocks are. Suggesting that the moon existed before our solar system existed, and if that's true, how did it end up here in our solar system?
1: So there's there's material material that's older than than us than our planet,
0: older than our entire solar system. Can you wrap your head around that? That's just like,
1: <laughs> wow!
0: Like the moon potentially no. existed before the sun did.
1: So what is it exactly? So what
0: is it exactly? Um, he uh, Swan. Started diving deep in there and uh, found a lot of weird things about the moon that aren't actually covered up. This is what I was talking about. They're published in scientific papers, but not publicized to the normal people in society because
1: sensationalizing yeah yeah but they're odd things
0: exactly the people who are in charge who are spin doctoring this information to us they just don't care enough to manage this information no information management has been
1: done about the moon yeah the truth gets through Mm
0: -hmm. so um this is a direct quote from swan because i i liked it he said where widespread ignorance exists a knowledgeable elite can form who spins doctors can set about eradicating webs of disinformation, which are accepted as information by the uninformed. <laughs> wow. This is how Swan writes. It's very, very dense. And then I have to break it down and, like, put it in it's my own words. It's a little confusing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but basically, he's saying, like, people who don't already have knowledge about a certain thing, there's always someone who does have that knowledge. And they can give you information in a in a certain amount. So just so that you have enough information, whether it's information or disinformation, to get a general idea about the subject without having to know anything about it. And in this case, it's mostly disinformation because, like, what do you know about the moon?
1: What do you know about the moon is the question.
0: (laughs) Well, I I know a lot more than I knew before I read this book, that's for sure. But um, I'm just going to give you some basic facts. So, like, There's a lot of planets in our solar system and other solar systems that have moons. So, they're not unusual. Having a moon on a planet is not unusual. Um, Moons are typically solid, natural formations, right? They're made of stellar matter in the form of compacted elements that are pulled together by a gravitational force. Okay? That's what gives you that spheric um, shape. And another fact about the moon is that moons are formed when a planet is formed. So... What what's the is it Jupiter that has like nine moons or something six moons? Yeah, um, all of those moons were formed at the same time that the planet was formed. Uh, they're they're basically just matter that didn't like make it into the gravitational force of the planet, but they ended up orbiting around the planet.
1: Um, is it generally believed that it comes from the planet itself or from somewhere else?
0: Well, like, what does the planet come from? It's 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 a bunch of like outer space material that's just compacted into. You know, a sphere. So it would be a piece that didn't make it into the planet, I suppose, is how you could say it. So
1: they kind of form together. That's Mm -hmm. why they have a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. They're they're tied to each other gravitationally.
0: Exactly. Yes. Again, we're back in the Cold War times, right? In the seventies. So one of the ideals about the moon was that the first person who landed on the moon would be able to colonize it and would have rulership on the moon and the earth together. Right. So this was like a Cold War ideal. And that's why the U.S. was fighting to put the first man on the moon <laughs> and trying to, to beat the Soviet Union there. This was part, part of the reason they wanted to colonize it. They wanted to build an international space station there and they wanted to be able to rule it and in turn also rule Earth. OK. At any given point in the 60s and 70s, um, Swan said there were over 450 satellites orbiting around the moon. At any given time. And like science, wow. if, science is coming really far in terms of like quality of images, technology advances, and like what we're able to see, you know, versus the 50s and, and before that. So like space, space exploration is, it's in its boom, right? This is like the huge time of space exploration. So we have 450 satellites going around the moon at any given point. You feel like if anything weird was going on, we'd know, right?
1: We must know. We
0: must know. So then can you tell me why in 1972 we abruptly ended our missions to the moon? There were three more spacecraft that were lined up, Apollo, you know, rockets that were supposed to go to the moon that were left to rot. Like none of them ever made it up into space. They just abandoned the project altogether and they decided to invest in the International Space Station, which they decided not to have on the moon after all, uh, and just use that as their next kind of moving on subject. What is that? Why, why would they do that?
1: Because at some point, the alien entities were like, we will destroy you. Get away from our spaceship <laughs> that's covered in old, old rocks and dust.
0: <laughs> you're, you're picking up what I'm putting down.
1: There must have been a threat from so high up, right? So much higher up than the president. There must have been just this feeling of like, we are the little ants. And we have, we, we have seen some stuff, and we're not allowed to go there. Yep. You know?
0: Even the Russians stopped.
1: That's weird, though. You're right. That is really weird that we stopped going to the moon.
0: And nobody noticed, because all they did was NASA just flipped the switch, and they said, oh, now we're going to build an international space station. This is where all your money is going toward. And all the attention was brought to this space station instead of on the moon. It just— Bloop, abruptly ended.
1: Yeah, why wouldn't you build a station on the moon? Why wouldn't you build anything on the moon? Why would we have stopped there? What's the spin doctor review, that it was funding or something?
0: He actually did say. He said that the public lost interest, and therefore they lost funds for the matter. But then how are they spending almost double the amount of money building a satellite that's going to be an international space station over building on something that already exists, which would have cost far less? Just very interesting. Yeah, that's
1: not it. That's a very bad explanation. Yep. The public lost interest. Mm-hmm. There was nothing more fascinating <laughs> in that time than men landing on the going moon, to the moon right? and
0: colonizing the moon. We, I mean, that's that's what everyone was talking about. Like, I'm going to move to the moon. I'm going to live there now. You know, raise my children on the moon.
1: <laughs> Why wasn't that the beginning of anything? You know, and at what point are they going to sit down, Elon Musk, and be like, "Listen, you can't go there." You know. <laughs>
0: So this takes us into uh some factoids about the moon. We already talked about the the billions of years in difference in age, which is very interesting and peculiar to think about. Um, so it's
1: that the rock is older, the the rock is about a billion years older and the dust is older than that.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Then then when they okay. when they when they supposed that the solar system was formed, which is 4.5 billion years, they found rocks on the right. moon that were 5.3 billion years, so almost a whole billion years older, and dust that was even older than that. This is where we get into the whole headline, the moon is hollow and other anomalies. So this is a whole category of information that Swan gives, and I can't, I'm only going to touch base on, like, the most interesting things, because it was, like, it was it was a lot. Wow. There, but there's a whole category of information, and you can read these in, like, published um, scientific research papers and things. Is called moon anomalies. Do you know what an anomaly is?
1: Sure, uh, something. uh, Something anomalous is (laughs) something strange, something unusual, something that's not normal. Right. Whatever normal. Not normal. Yeah,
0: not normal from what we know to be normal. So this is the definition that Swan gave. Something. Uh, An anomaly is something that prevailing wisdom is quite certain cannot exist, but it's found to be existing anyway, and therefore not impossible.
1: So, like, everything we cover.
0: <laughs> everything we cover. We are the anomaly.
1: Anomalous feast. Ah. That, that was the other That was the other idea.
0: So scientists claim that they had an increasing amount of data on the moon in the 60s and 70s. Hmm, I wonder if that's because of the 450 satellites you had orbiting around the moon. Um, But the description of the moon has hardly changed. And still to this day has hardly changed since we started exploring the moon in the 1950s. Why is that? If we've gotten so much more information about the moon, why has its description hardly changed since 1950s?
1: That information's being controlled uh-huh. very, very, very specifically.
0: Yes. So, what
1: is on the moon?
0: Yeah, anomalies. Uh, the scientists started discovering these anomalies on the moon, and they they uh, didn't want to confuse the public and discomfort people's you know general comfort information levels. So they just kind of kept it to themselves, but they recorded it. Like like I said, when. Um, when Swan started researching this, he said it was like exceedingly easy to find information about the moon, but this is not like public information. It is posted publicly, but it just hasn't been accepted. Nobody
1: talks about, nobody it. Talks about it. Nobody talks about it. Nobody nobody
0: confirmed it, nobody had. Yeah,
1: there was no one Everybody romanticizes the moon. You know, <laughs> I because of the small bit of uh, this that I did kind of have, have heard before, I like I feel the moon is weird. Yeah. You know, the moon is strange. Yeah. And it's watching us, you know. So but you you described it is it was thought of before these plans were canceled as a major a major advantage in the war and control of the earth. Exactly. It's vantage point, the the way that you could reach the earth from up there. It's just the ultimate eagle eye in the sky. And
0: then to be completely abandoned randomly. Out of nowhere?
1: No, no other trips to the moon. Yeah, no. Nope. Well, that's why some people believe that we never even went there in the first place, right? Because of how weird that is. Yeah, but I don't, I don't believe that.
0: But super creepy to think about why it stopped, and and the fact that no one even noticed. Ingo himself said, "I didn't even notice that we had stopped researching the moon until we were already moving on to the next subject, and nobody talked about the moon again." So bizarre, right?
1: Yeah, it's. The truth is hidden behind stone cold faces, you know? People that feel like they have no choice but to lie, mm-hmm. people they feel like they have no choice but to just not indulge, ridicule, nothing.
0: Well, and that's why even to this day in like earth science and stuff, we're we're taught that the moon is just a dead rock that orbits Earth. That we like we don't they don't go into much detail about that. And that's not even necessarily true because since that, then we've discovered true. that that the earth is or sorry that the moon is a dead rock like we've discovered it, that the moon has an atmosphere we know that there is water on the moon remember that in the 90s we know a lot more about the moon than what was originally let on but they don't teach it in schools and therefore it's just kind of nationally accepted as just like oh yeah it's a it's a dead rock that orbits the earth that's that's what most people would say they know about the moon. So right? maybe
1: they just start, you know, it's like when when you're caught lying and you start altering the truth, you know. Maybe they just start altering the or altering the lie, like, you know, oh, it's a living dead rock, a living sky, dead rock. Or, oh, right. it's so. What does he start to uncover? You're saying yes. Yeah.
0: So we're we're already uncovering some stuff, but now we're gonna uncover the big kicker here. So the moon's density is far less in terms of grams cubic per. Grams per cubic centimeter, far less than the Earth, which suggests that, that the moon is actually hollow and has no core because it's not dense enough in terms of grams per cubic centimeter. And a quote from Carl Sagan, a natural sa- satellite cannot be hollow. Contradicts the fact that the moon is our natural satellite, right? It naturally orbits around our Earth, or does it naturally. Right. Carl Sagan made this statement in 1962, and so it can only be inferred that only an artificial satellite could be hollow, okay. right? If you're if you're putting those two factoids together.
1: Sure, sure. So
0: now we're wondering: Is the moon an artificial satellite? Hmm. It's
1: meant to seem like a satellite.
0: Right. Exactly. Meant to it's seem like a natural like, satellite.
1: It's like some sort of a station or vehicle that's meant to seem. That's meant. It's in disguise as a satellite, right? It's not. Yeah. It's not appearing it doesn't want to appear like it's anything other than a satellite exactly but so they so they figured out the density of the moon yes and it doesn't make sense with with regards to what it needs to be no it should because- be a lot denser and it should move differently yes or what? If,
0: if if it was rotating or orbiting the earth the way that it does this gravitational force would would have pulled it in already if it was hollow and not being. And, and natural, hollow and natural. It would have been like you know a meteorite or an asteroid. It would have already hit Earth. Right. You would have already what come crashing What would keep it in. out there? Right. Exactly. So very peculiar. Um. But
1: wait. But you said you said it was. It seems hollow. But you're saying if it's hollow, it would have. Come to Earth. It wouldn't even be a satellite. If
0: it was a natural hollow satellite, it would have already crashed into into Earth. But because the fact that it is hollow, or at least they believe it to be hollow based on the density, it has to therefore be an artificial satellite being controlled to stay in orbit and be... You know, disguised in plain sight, basically. Since this um, occurrence, we already knew about this as like scientists and researchers knew about this in the 60s before the U.S. and the Soviet Union even knew that they were going to go to the moon. We, Our people should have already known, known all this information before then. So we already knew that the moon that we were going to travel to was not of natural origin before we traveled there. Right. Apollo 12's crew, when they traveled on their mission to the moon, they noted on their way back home that when they sent back their liftoff module, you know how, like, the rocket, like, takes off and then the back end flies off and goes back, um, when that hit the moon, they said that it reverberated like a bell for an hour.
1: That's crazy.
0: Does that just make you, like, wait, what?
1: <laughs> what on earth?
0: No, what on moon? <laughs>
1: What on moon? <laughs> so if it were that big, even if it had stations and s- like a city, multiple encampments, mines, it just doesn't have anything inside. It's layers of, it's just beyond anything that we could possibly imagine, really. We don't usually think of spacecraft as having fucking rocks on top of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Right. Or being that big. We're talking about a Death Star kind of thing.
0: Swan actually mentioned when he when he traveled there, he mentioned saying that there were like ca- caves, that he couldn't see the caves, but he knew that there were caves in the moon that were like enormously larger than any cave we've ever known to exist on Earth. So I think that might go into how the, the moon is actually hollow and maybe that's what he was sensing was that it was hollow.
1: But so it does have layers of rock. Yeah, maybe maybe the the rocks and the stuff around it are there to um, sustain it somehow. You know, it's part of how it sustains itself.
0: One of the weird things that I realized while I was reading this was because again, like he wrote this book in the nineties, and I'm thinking like, well, a lot of this stuff has to be like public knowledge now, right? But it's still not. Like it's very hard to just like Google, is the moon hollow? And then it's like everything that you read is like, is the moon hollow? We don't know. <laughs> like no one knows, even though we know based on the math that we've done and the engineering of of how planets are formed and created and all that information that we as EarthSide side human race no it just feels like there's not enough information out there for the public to really access and thus begins the big cover up of space side activity which is what uh swan refers to as anything that's not earth side so he says earth side versus space side um so this is the cover up of space side activity we don't we still to this day do not have access of high res photos of the moon if you look up high-res photos on the moon, you will see low-res photos that have been altered now to, like, see what the moon looked like then based on the old photo kind of thing. They show you, like, oh, we fixed up this photo. Um, but still not having access. very
1: controlled. Yeah, right? not having access controlled.
0: to high, high-res photos. But we have high-res photos of Pluto. Like, are you kidding me?
1: We should know everything about the moon, you know? It should be so much more mapped out in a yeah, way. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, it's a big part of our life. It it, it it helps control the weather on Earth. Like, it's crucial to our existence.
1: I wonder what will happen in the future with this, though. Right. You know, or is it just going to continue to get skewed?
0: I mean, uh, until the big idea that these things do exist and, and we have irrefutable proof Maybe they just are going to keep it under wraps until then, until that can be proved or disproved.
1: Unless we're really heading towards some sort of a disclosure where the, the mantle will fall down completely, which is what sort of people are sort of the veil will fall down completely. Like, you know, unless, unless we're heading towards some scenario where that's going to happen, but it just doesn't seem likely, you know?
0: Yeah. It's hollow. We have no high res photos of it. Um, Swan made this great comparison. He said that like the strongest telescope that orbits our earth can see see someone drop a piece of bubble gum down a drain? <laughs> Why can't we see more of the moon?
1: Wow. Yeah. Why
0: can't we see if the moon is hollow or has life on it?
1: These are very obvious questions.
0: Yeah. Then we get into the matter of lunar lights, uh, which is another anomaly. Uh, Swan refers to this book that was written by William H. Corliss. He set up the Source Book Project, uh, which was meant to compile all the moons like strange phenomena so luminous phenomena is one of those categories um lights right and scientists ignored lights on the moon for decades it didn't come about until the age of space exploration when professional and amateur astronomers finally started reporting seeing flashes of light on the moon even they would see like transient colors and like blasts and fireworks and things like that and like like, I'm telling you, like, people with just, yeah, yeah, rave on the moon, <laughs> rave on the moon. People with just, like, a, a you know, a 10-inch telescope could see these things. So, like, you didn't have to have a super strong telescope to be able to see these lunar lights. Like, amateur astronomers were being able to see these and report them and be like, what the hell, scientists? You've never seen these lights on the moon before? And so this
1: makes me want to research this. Yeah,
0: totally. More, it makes Which is me sort want of the point of our show, telescope.
1: right? The point That's of our true. show is like maybe like go out there. I mean, you don't have to. You could just be happy with what we cover. But like maybe maybe it would be a good idea to Google this more. Like this is I want to I want to know yeah. a lot more about this. Yeah, yeah.
0: One of Apollo's missions even reported that there were lights, but um, when they came back to Earth, flashing lights, flashing lights, uh, transient colors, fireworks, colored lights, yeah,
1: T- fireworks, yeah.
0: One of Apollo's missions even reported this, um, but during their press release, when they came back to Earth, they like kept it under wraps, and they were told not to mention it at all. But it is like in the papers of their reports.
1: You just really, really picture these naked men, you know? (laughs) Everyone's just so disturbed. They're like, good time, yeah. So
0: naked,
1: naked robot men dancing on the (laughs) moon.
0: So listen to this. Um, One of the moon's craters, Plato is most famous for its light shows. Um, they say the floor of the crater changes color and can even be seen through heavy fog. So you're thinking like, wow, when when the Apollo like landed on the moon, why didn't we see any of these flashing lights like on the moon where they landed? Well, they specifically landed near the lunar equator where little activity was ever being measured. You know, when we put that stuff on the TV and have video and picture recording of it, it's it doesn't look like anything unusual is on the moon or happening.
1: What if the trip to the moon was, yes, to assert dominance as far as our country and everything like that, but what if it really was just a way to continue to spin this reality of the moon not being anything important, you know? What if it was all sort of meant to show you that there's just rocks and some good photographs and some lovely Patriotic feelings we can get from exactly, this. And, that's and that's it. You know
0: that I mean that's I think that's what Swan is trying to get you to think about is that that might have been their intention.
1: It was designed to be a very uncontroversial, uneventful. uneventful. Yeah. I mean, eventful for humanity in a lot of ways. Sure, but painting this narrative—that's the opposite of the stuff we're learning. Right. You know, it's kind of sickening actually to think that we're we've been painting this narrative of like humans, just like little, like little, little engines that could, that are just, they're doing, they're doing great. You know, (laughs) they're, they're getting up to the moon. They're building a space station little by little. We're doing things, you know, like so far removed from the insanity that seems to be happening for real. And all of it's labeled as conspiracies and lies and not, you know, it's like, but I think it's bubbling up to the surface. You know, I think this, information about the moon cannot be suppressed, you know?
0: I mean it's I feel like it's been suppressed all this time. Even though this book has been around since the 90s, like I never knew all this stuff about the moon. Not that I've had super these interest weird things, in it.
1: right? What are these lights? What why and so it's flashing colors all over the place. They landed by the equator when there's less activity. Okay, so so what are these lights, I wonder? Why would they be flashing so much? They just built a thing that is deceptive enough. They don't give a damn if there's weird activities or you see saucers or colors. And that's what Swan
0: has been, that's, that's what the whole book is about is just basically that like, even though people have irrefutable evidence and they're showing it to your face, like amateur telescope astronomers are looking through and being like, I'm seeing lights, look. And then they're like, eh, and they just ignore it, like, it, and it gets ignored societally because it's not accepted by higher up uh, scientists and researchers, and, and yada yada. Even though it might might be accepted, they just can't let you know that it's because it's accepted. Yeah, and so it falls into the realm of like another silly phenomena thing. Put it put it in the tabloids, you know.
1: <laughs> there must be some rational explanation for this, you know. Why we have flashing lights all over the
0: moon. NASA planet. has been Different denying colors. what was happening on the moon this whole time. I guess, in you know, in the video of Armstrong putting the flag in the ground, there's a gust of wind that blows the flag up at one point. And this was before they even admitted or that they knew that the moon had an atmosphere on it. So they thought it was just dead dead air dead space and with that gust of wind pushing the flag out like literally at the end of the footage like the astronauts are going up to the screen covering it with their arms and hands so that it can't be shown to the public why yeah so this means like if if there's There's a lot of questions there's wind on the moon the moon is hollow there's lights on the moon there's obviously more going on than we thought we you know this whole like dead moon diam that uh, that that Swan was referring to. It's not as dead as we're taught it is in school.
1: I would love to hear Neil deGrasse Tyson's version of this because yeah. he is the ultimate sell you on the the status quo version of reality totally of anybody you know so
0: swan believes that if all this information about the moon all these anomalies if they were publicly disclosed and accepted he thinks that nasa would have actually been able to colonize the moon and they would have been able to get the money to fund it much quicker and easier and it would have been Completely successful. So that's why he thinks that there's something else going on, that there's a reason why they didn't end up colonizing the moon.
1: Wait, and what what reason does he think? He thinks that it would have been good business but there's a. it would
0: have been good business to to announce all the anomalies and things because it then then it was like oh the 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 moon is inhabitable like there's water on the moon there's rich nutrients soil um there's there's atmosphere it's like it would get people excited about colonizing the moon but they they never disclose that information and then they stop trying to colonize the moon so he thinks that there's like there's got to be more reason to that and he never he never says anything about what the reason is because no one knows but it's just, he leaves it open-ended.
1: I mean, it shows you that I don't think there is any way that NASA is this objective. The NASA is not separate from the government. You know, NASA has the best technology, you know, can can find things out, does see things that we're not privy to, and they're part of the government. You know, yeah. like they're not, I don't think that we can fully trust this organization based on how little they're giving us. And and I've heard, you know, stories of how they doctor information and everything. There's actually a really great book. God, I cannot think of the name of it. But we're going to cover it where a government official himself disbelieved all of this and thought people were crazy until one day he is brought into the know of what NASA no, it's, it's his
0: book or it's, um,
1: it's his book. Okay, yeah. It's know. a recent book. We're going to cover it, but I, I, I don't have the name of it in front of me, but I mean, even the employees themselves would disbelieve this stuff, you know, and, and it's just wrong, you know, it's wrong to, <sighs> to, to, to lie about this for so long. So I wonder, I wonder what we do know. I wonder what it could be, what, where does? So, so where does he go with this?
0: Um, yeah, so this is, like, at the very end of part two. Like I said, it's mostly he was just talking about anomalies and weird things that happened on the moon. And and he does leave it open-ended at the end. But to add to that, he read a book by a French author named Maurice Châtellion. I don't know if that's pronounced right. Nice. It sounds French. Sounds
1: cool, the way you um, say
0: it. <laughs> and it's called Our Ancestors Came from Outer Space. That's the title of the book. Um, and in okay. the book, Maurice claims that um, Armstrong... You know who uh, put the planted the flag there? Saw, witnessed two UFOs hovering above him when he planted that flag, and that um, after they left the moon, their flight was actually followed by extraterrestrial craft upon leaving. And they had another aircraft that had nuclear power in it just in case there were any threats and they had to like release nuclear power. Um, But he said that when they tried to enable it, it was completely disabled um, by the UFOs that were following them and they barely made it back to Earth.
1: That must have been why they were being followed because they were like, well, wait a second. What the hell are you doing here with this? Right. Although I, I imagine that this mission was done with either the entities that are on the moon, the organizations on the moon being aware of the mission is, I feel like it was sort of designed for us. um, I agree. Somehow. I agree. You know, And and it brought a lot of beauty into people's lives and hope. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was an extraordinary, it's an extraordinary moment in history, no matter what, but, but what, what an uncomfortable position. There are a lot of stories about how the astronauts saw a lot more than they were able to talk about. Yeah. And everything.
0: But that they probably knew that they were going to see that, too, and they already knew how confidential it was and how limited their information reach Maybe would be. Maybe they
1: did, yeah.
0: Um, the Maurice, the guy who published this book, he was, like, laughed about after publishing it, um, but he was actually one of the engineers who helped the Apollo develop their radar and communication systems on, on their rocket. Uh, so he was actually an insider on the mission, and if he claimed all these things happened, like, how could he how could he be laughed at, you know, like he, and this is coming from inside. So that's how fo- much of a faux pod is to release. If we collect information
1: enough, like if we collect enough of these anomalies, like we have these stories, we have antidotes, we have this, like this book by this insider. We have like, if we collect enough of this information, we do have a problem with the way that we see the moon yeah. and what's going on there. We do have a problem. We can't – I think people who try to disprove everything about this phenomenon with the moon, um, I think they try really, really hard to ignore everything. They're not reading any of it. Yeah. You know, they're not really looking at any of it. Because the the common explanation is it's not a natural satellite. Mm -hmm. And there's other people out there. You know, there's other beings. There's intelligent beings out there. You know, we don't – there are no real movies about this, you know? I mean there there are movies. I think there's a movie about like Nazis on the moon, like kind of ridiculous films and stuff, but, but there's no real movie about this kind of conspiracy, you know?
0: You mean about the conspiracy there's, itself or about the things that well, do exist just the on ambiguity. The
1: moon. Yeah. Yeah, just like the idea that the that the moon is inhabited. We don't have enough really good alien films, you know, about this kind of stuff. You know? Um
0: well, 'Cause all of our alien films are like horror films.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're like horror films. I mean, I think of Arrival with Charlie Sheen. Uh, that was like more connected to the conspiracy of all of this. But it ultimately like is tied to some like you're right, horror or some unbelievable thing. And they don't like Which don't might be adding
0: to the spin doctorism, to be honest.
1: Yeah, doesn't seem like a whole lot of movies get made that are trying to talk about the truth of any of this or explore the possibilities of any of this being true. Yeah, you know, yep. Maybe maybe one of us or someone out there can can start writing some good screenplays about these. these I mean,
0: situations. you said it right when I started talking about Ingo Swan. Yeah, you were like, I see it.
1: I, I, I can just see that film. You know, about He's that in the guy. office, and I, and I think they've they've made similar. Similar movies about those the, the, that group of people that were recruited by the government and trained. Why doesn't anybody want to believe any of this? You know, why do we? Why do we insist? I mean, it's just—it's really creepy and it's really insane. If I go out there and I see the moon and I think that it is consists of many intelligent beings, it's hollow their are uh, uncomfortable dance parties on it, <laughs> you know, like I don't know. Like that doesn't make me feel good. Right. You know? Yeah. I don't it's uneasy because
0: it, you're like, my whole life has been a lie is what you feel like.
1: Yeah. What's and nothing is more beautiful than moonlight, right? Moonlight is the most beautiful light. It's 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 magical. It 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 uh it it has powers they're Powerful weapons that harness moonlight in Skyrim and and, <sighs> and lore. But the idea that it is a lie and it is a vehicle or it is a station. Right. Maybe more a station than a vehicle, you know, a moving station. Maybe that's what Swan was, where Swan was coming from with his whole rejection of it initially. Yeah, and I, he was just like, "This is so beyond anything that we could possibly." Like, I will sooner accept aliens having visited and and hanging you out know, in grocery markets, a couple porcupines and cows <laughs> than than the moon being a complete lie. So, so where does so where are we in the book now? Is well, that yeah, through, that's almost? the end of
0: part two, and then he starts part three, which is the last section of the book, and it's all about well, he calls it. Earth-side telepathy versus space-side telepathy. So we talked about the difference between Earth-side and space-side already.
1: I like that. I like that.
0: Yeah. And, And this is where he goes. There's a lot of, like, quantum talk that goes into this. And like a lot of it was way too dense for me to even pay attention. I was just like, uh, uh-huh, okay, scan, scan. Sure. <laughs> sure. But basically he's just, he continues explaining, well, he, you know, he, he continues being frustrated about why are we being lied about the moon? Like he talks about the encyclopedia doesn't even give a full definition on space exploration and more so like what we haven't done in our space exploration. And that there's issues with the way, That information is coming out and being perceived because all of this cover up has created a lot of counter cover up revolutionary books that are trying to uncover the cover up, but then some aren't from quite trusted sources, and so it it just puts everyone under the umbrella that like anything that's countering this cover up is actually fake and fantastical, and so he's like really frustrated by that. And that's the essence
1: of covering up all of the supernatural is you, you, you put the, the true with the ridiculous and the true seems ridiculous.
0: All right. So we're going to get into the last part of the book here. Um, this is Swan's take on telepathy. And so this is kind of just like a lot of his opinions about telepathy, but also um, to help define some terms and just kind of make clearer in your your mind as the listener and, and David's mind as well as to what telepathy is and, and what it could mean for our future. So Swan believes that everyone, everyone, all humankind already have telepathic ability. It's inherent in our species and not limited to certain unique individuals who have a gift. It's just that those people have been able to tune in with it more easily than the rest of the population
1: latent abilities
0: mm-hmm. exactly so Swan, this is a direct quote from swan telepathy is the most forbidden element of earth side consciousness science would rather accept reincarnation the existence of a soul and life after death before they accept telepathy now why is that
1: <laughs> fucking science <man. laughs> fucking science
0: science Telepathy, um, he describes as the preeminent penetration modality, okay? He talks about experiencing, like, government officials and notable scientists who would avoid him while he was doing his research at the Stanford Research Institute. He had a friend who, like, was like, why are you avoiding Ingo Swan? And this is a direct quote from one of them. He said, Jesus, he can read my mind. I can't let him anywhere near me, <laughs> And he thought this was really funny because if telepathy is what it is, you don't actually need to be in close proximity to read anyone's mind. Like, you don't have—
1: Especially not Swan. Yeah,
0: especially not Swan. He can go to freaking Jupiter and read your mind if he wants to. But, yeah, you don't don't have to be in close proximity to any kind of telepath to have your mind penetrated, right?
1: I mean, dude, I would just, like, walk around and, like, wink at people if I were him. (laughs) Like, I I would think that they didn't want to be seen talking to him. Because they didn't want people to think like.
0: That they were cracked out too. They already think Yeah, he's a this crack guy's crack crazy. Head. Like, yeah. why,
1: why is he having a conversation at the water cooler with this guy? You know? <laughs> why is he having lunch with this guy?
0: Exactly. And you might be right. Let's you might be take- onto something. So Swan is, you know, he, he talks about how everyone has the ability to telepathize innately. Like, we're born with that as a species. But whether or not we can access it is a different question. And he has this idea that, because he says, well, if I was. An extraterrestrial or someone space-side and had telepathic abilities. I would want to prevent Earth-side human consciousness from developing their own innate ability to also telepathize because I know that they take power for granted, and these powers are too strong for humankind. It would be detrimental to positive telepathic development in the universe.
1: Yeah, this is why we can't have nice things, basically. So, this is very significant. Mm-hmm. Somebody with this ability saying he wouldn't want us to have this ability. Exactly. But he's, does he have telepathy? Is his telepathy. I,
0: I think he's dwindled in it, but he doesn't, I at least not that I know of, not from what I've looked up, he doesn't have the ability to telepathize. Okay. But
1: it's not as, it's not developed the way correct. His, his remote yeah. viewing is developed. But you
0: know how we've read in, in some of our other books, Excuse me. When people are contacted by um, space side creatures, it's usually through the mind. Like they are just—they're told exactly what they're they're saying through their mind. They're not speaking. They're not using an actual physical language or, or way way to speak to each other. It's going straight through the mind. So this is not something that's like the, you know completely um, unusual to hear from You're his right. side
1: where uh, our frequencies are picked up and used by extraterrestrial interdimensional beings like they can they can get inside of of the mind sure and they speak to each other that way
0: the term telepathy was actually coined in 1882 by the physical researcher fWH Myers um, he defined telepathy as a coincidence between two persons' thoughts which requires a casual explanation like radio waves being broadcast and sent and then duplicated by receivers, right? So when you think when you think of it in that terms, you're thinking of it has to be two people. There has to be one person at each end of the spectrum to uh, allow telepathy to exist. One person has to send the message and one person has to receive the message, right? It's not telepathy if you're just sending the message but no one's receiving it. So th- this is originally derived from two terms, tele, meaning across, like telephone, you know, <laughs> telepathy so across and then empathy empathy is actually the other term that they came up with this term from and empathy is the capacity um to be able to like you know take in someone else's feelings and, and and ideas as a result of being infused with them like you take on someone's feelings right so tele empathy telepathy yeah that's where that word came from which i actually didn't know i thought that was very interesting
1: and you're saying they compared it to radio waves? Oh, that, like radio that's just what I
0: was saying. It's like like that, that's what it made me think of, like radio waves okay. being broadcast okay. out and then a sure. receiver picking them
1: up. Got it. Yeah. A broadcast signal. So yeah.
0: just to finish up here, um, Swan made this nice comparison of like a wine bottle. And if you think about a, bo- a bottle of wine and that the liquid inside the bottle are your thoughts. But what does the bottle consist of? This is a very phil- philosophical moment here. We're going. What what does the bottle like consist where,
1: of? Where 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 do the thoughts exist?
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: What it, what houses consciousness? Yes, that is the question, yep. isn't it?
0: Exactly. Good. Yeah. So um, the, he just kind of leaves it there, and he talks about like consciousness in the individual, um, and more comparisons about like how this is being ignored on the moon but i think we've pretty much covered that pretty well i just wanted to go in and one last thing about the like if he were an et he wouldn't want um humankind to like be able to telepathize swan also believes that as long as humankind earthsiders as he calls them earthsiders are intellectually locked into the assumption that telepathy is unworkable like as long as we as a people believe that telepathy cannot be achieved, then all the secrets of telepathy will remain unpenetrated. And that's that's where he leaves us, which which um, if you think about it, we might actually be doubly damned because that means if space siders, you know, anyone who's not from Earth, are able to telepathize to us, but they're also preventing our ability to telepathize and then also our innate sense of thinking that telepathy doesn't exist is like double ends of the spectrum and how we're never going to achieve telepathy to its full um, potential. Isn't that interesting?
1: Just think of what would be possible in a positive sense if we could share information that fast, you know? Like if a group of people that were the most talented engineers of the world could get together and design something with each other's thoughts together there's so many beautiful things that are possible if we could work together totally. and stop fighting each other. Yeah. Like so much of humanity gets completely lost with the tribalism and the war and the racism and the nonsense. Like it all falls there. And I think that what you're saying is true. I think the signals are being blocked. I think we we were we have been prevented for a long time. But it seems to be that this stuff is breaking through, right? Right. Like, our show now exists, like, other shows exist, like, now we're having some of the most successful documentaries about ETs on all the platforms, like, there's, there's, this stuff is starting to become mainstream, and whereas previous generations would be ridiculed for this, new generations want to take up these subjects, and... It's just not possible to suppress it but as a whole like telepathy yeah I, I, I don't know it would be curious to research this more to see what's being if anything's being done with this if there have been any newer organizations set up by the government probably not that we know about right was there any talk of Mars during any of the uh, book Did they go to did they cover Mars? because uh-huh. I know that there has been some remote viewing of Mars and I really want to find that Do you know has he written other books?
0: He's written a couple books. So he wrote a book called Starfire, The War to End All Wars. Um, The Great Apparitions of Mary, which we kind of talked about in uh, Pasoka's book. Um, Everybody's Guide to Natural ESP. I think that was one of his first books. Psychic Sexuality, which I think is what you thought this book was going to be about, but it's actually its own book. (laughs) (laughs) Secrets of Power, Psychic and Literacy, Resurrecting the Mysterious. Uh, He's written several books, actually, like. Probably upwards of 20. So we have
1: some other really cool things to cover.
0: Yeah. Indeed we do.
1: So what is your conclusion? What is his conclusion of this? He just doesn't believe that humans should have this power. It seems that we are being suppressed. Maybe for our own good. (laughs) um, In a lot of ways. Well, that's what the government
0: thinks. It's for your own good.
1: But you know what? It's fantastic that you have defined a lot of these terms. We needed to go here. We went here. We needed to see naked men on the moon. We needed to. We needed to. We needed to cover these ideas: remote viewing, telepathy. We talked about the uh, pyrokinesis. Pyrokinesis. Yeah,
0: uh, psychokinesis.
1: Psychokinesis. Whoa, that's a different kind of. Kinesis. Yeah, yours is uh, p- fire. Psychokinesis. Firepower. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs>
0: pyrokinesis.
1: Uh, ah! That episode of the X Files is terrifying. Yeah. No. We needed to go here, and where we go from here is is open, right? We can, we can cover a lot more of his books and a lot more of the characters within these, these subjects. Well, fantastic.
0: Well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. You and everybody else.
1: <laughs> Th- thank you for that wonderful episode. Well, uh, we... <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard not to use the word penetration in a sentence right now. <laughs> um, but I hope you guys have been... Uh, not stimulated with our great yeah. show stimulated yeah. yeah i hope you've been stimulated by the show it has been a real pleasure to uh, to do this and to learn we're really much we're very much still learning uh, we're building up the platform building up the show i think we've had a tremendous start thanks to how brilliant sydney is um, thanks to thanks to our work doing this it's 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 a lot of work to read and to present and to do a show this way Really, we should just have a show where we're just talking about aliens. (laughs) Like we're just like bullshitting. I think that's what people
0: thought this podcast was going to be, and then it's like, oh no, they're like legit. They do research and stuff. What?
1: (laughs) Exactly. I know they read. Oh my god, they read. (laughs) We're going to uh, this episode wraps up the season one, so we're going to be back uh, soon. Uh, We're going to take a break for the end of the season, and we'll be back with a lot more, a lot more good stuff. We're we're gonna. Uh, increase our work with the show itself, continue to upgrade the way we're doing things, the, the 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 sources that you have to find us and everything and to communicate with us, and the feedback and, and how we can incorporate that more into the show and continue to do great episodes. So anything else you want to say? Hey, you never told us about Eureka Springs. Uh,
0: do you want a quick recap?
1: Yeah, give me a quick All recap right. before we so end So
0: my... <sighs> Husband, wow, my husband and I went to Eureka Springs. Sydney got, I got married. <laughs> married. I did a thing. <laughs> we went to Eureka <laughs> Springs for our honeymoon, and I just found myself like sending David all these weird pictures and stuff that I was taking because they like everything was like alien themed there. There was like a coffee shop called Bean Me Up, and there was like signs on doors that said we're out for the day, and these might be one of the reasons. And one of them says like alien invasion at the end, and it's like Weird. And and then and then they're like, "Well, we'll be we'll be open tomorrow, granted we survived the alien invasion." It was like, "What's happening?" It was just so weird.
1: And that was in separate locations. Separate loca- yeah, these- separate
0: locations. Like there were some downtown on the doors and the stores like around the not downtown area and and we went horseback riding at one point and I asked the lady who was taking us on the trails like, "So, what's up with the alien thing going around here?" Because she told me she li- she's lived in Eureka Springs for like 30 years
1: Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you asked. And she- and yeah. she was like,
0: What alien thing? And I was like, okay, literally, you can't live here for 30 years and have no idea what I'm talking about when I say the alien thing going on here. (laughs) So, like,
1: I couldn't get answers
0: from anyone. Everyone was like, what alien thing? I don't know what you're talking about. They just were like, huh? And it was, like, just—it was so bizarre. And so then we—my husband and I kind of came under the, the general assumption that the whole town was run by aliens and they just didn't want to tell us. Because it seemed—it was, like, a weird little con town. Like, it's a cute town, but it's, like, obviously— only thrives on tourism of like their natural springs and stuff, which are like the least natural thing I've ever seen. They have like completely man built like arches over them and like the whole, everything's like built into the rock of the way the water flows. And it's like, yeah, that's not natural. I'm like, it's just, yeah, it's very weird. It's very weird and very like, you know, pricey based on what they actually have half there and like we had fun there don't get me wrong we went to a cave and we went horseback riding and we went on a ghost tour like we had a good time and we like stayed in a caboose in the middle of the woods with our fire pit it was was very fun but it was just very peculiar and like totally we we were like this town is run by aliens it's
1: were any of the people men in black like, oh, did, they have, did they all have their eyebrows? I, did they, did were they wearing new clothes with the tags on them? Uh, did their skin look like weird? Anything? I mean, I
0: didn't notice anything super weird other than the fact that we were just in the South. So like, you know, some, some of the people were just like, look like they're from the South <laughs> or like, they just rolled out of bed and sure. came to work and it's like, okay, you know, you do you. For but, sure. But yeah, no, everyone was super nice there. It's just a weird, yeah, weird, little town, yeah. weird little town, weird little town. Contown.
1: You started a UFO podcast. You go away on this honeymoon, and you see like all these alien themes, and nobody's like aware yeah. of it. Nobody's mentioning Nothing. anything. What 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 draw you? What drew you there to begin with?
0: Oh, my mom has been there, and so she sent she sent us there. She got us like a, a rental car, and she was like, head on down there. And like, I had so much fun doing all these things, and so we we just went down there and kind of relaxed. It was actually really nice. Very much needed after the wedding. We were like exhausted, so. <laughs>
1: What if? What if you went there, right? And like, in at some on some tour or something, you ran into a woman that looked like your mom <gasps> and claimed to be your real ah. mom and was like, "Oh my god, I've been waiting here this oh whole my time. God. I can't believe my clone sent you here." No,
0: I can't imagine. No, no, thank you. <laughs> well, and and somebody. I'm glad that didn't I, I told this story to him. One of my uncles and cousins, um, and and they were like, are you sure that the Kyle that came back with you is your husband or is it the alien Kyle? (laughs) Oh, don't do that. No. I know. I was like, no, I don't want to think about that.
1: (laughs) You got Kyle (laughs)
0: 2.0.
1: Insert husband (laughs) version.
0: Exactly. He's
1: like suddenly so like different (laughs) and like ultra I don't know he, he did make
0: dinner the other night I was like who is this who is this yeah. is this my husband that's suspicious
1: <laughs> that's really suspicious
0: but yeah thanks thanks for asking and uh, I thought it was a fun little thing I just had to add a little blurb and it episode. is fun
1: <laughs> well thank thank you everybody for listening to us for this season uh, thank you for all of our uh, first time listeners and fans and um, friends and family and um, thank you everybody thank you sydney for a great season
0: hey you did most of the hard work david does all the heavy lifting and then he (laughs) likes to brag about me and i'm like I roll i
1: lift a i lift a lot of weights in honor of the show um (laughs) yeah i mean it's 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 we 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 got this thing off the ground and we're gonna keep going
0: we're heading to the moon
1: (laughs) there we go heading to mars next season for sure
0: All right. Well, bye guys. We love you. Keep following us. Thank you guys. Give (laughs) us tips for season two. That's it for today's feast. Thank you for dining with us. Hold your cosmic appetites for next time.
1: And reach out to us on Twitter and follow us on Instagram at cosmic feast.